0: tapping against the
1: window. What on
2: earth is it? Louise! Louise!
3: Oh my God!
4: Louise! Louise! Oh. You have got to die, Louise! You have got to die!
1: 28th, 1935, Tigris Palace Hotel. This looks like being my last week in Baghdad. The Wrights are going back to England next Monday and need a nurse to look after their little girl on the journey. But I've explained to them that I'd really like to stay on for a bit longer. Not in Baghdad, I've had quite enough of that. I would like the chance to see something of the real East. And now something new has cropped up. Dr. Riley, the civil surgeon at Hassania, phoned to ask me to meet him at the English club. He says he may possibly have a job for me.
5: It has to be a fully qualified nurse. He was most insistent upon that. So naturally, I thought of you.
1: And who would I be looking after? Another baby?
5: (laughs) Well, no, not a baby, exactly. It's a lady. A lady who's, well, how shall I put it, Well, she has fancies.
1: Are you trying to tell me she drinks or drugs, Dr. Riley? I'd rather know straight away. (laughs)
5: Oh, what a puritanical soul you are, Amy Leatheran. It's nothing like that at all. She's the wife of Dr. Leidner, the Swedish-American archaeologist. He's in charge of a major excavation out in Hassania. They're uncovering an ancient Assyrian city on my territory, medically speaking.
1: And what's wrong with the lady, exactly? Why does she need a nurse?
5: Well, Leidner's not very forthcoming about it. He says she has these recurring fits of nervous terrors. What kind of terrors? I really don't know. As I understand it, Leidner's got quite enough on his plate with all the problems of the dig. He wants someone whose professional skill he can rely on to keep an eye on his wife.
1: And what does Mrs. Leidner herself think about
5: it? Mrs. Leidner is rather an odd woman. Something of a femme fatale. The Sphinx and the Mona Lisa and Helena Troy rolled into one. (laughs) I suspect that she's a champion liar into the bargain. But Leidner seems honestly to believe that she is scared out of her life by something or other.
1: Sounds quite a challenge.
5: So, what do you think? You'd see something of the country before you go home? And the excavation's bound to be interesting, if you care for that sort of thing?
1: Mm, I think I might try it.
5: Well, Leidner's in Baghdad now. I'll tell him to come round to the Tigris Palace and see if he can fix things up with you.
4: It's so difficult to explain to anyone who hasn't met her. My wife is in a very nervous state. We are all very worried about her.
1: Is she in good physical health?
4: Oh, yes, there is no question of that. But she... well, she imagines things.
1: What kind of things?
4: Oh, she works herself up about nothing at all. I honestly do believe that her fears have no foundation in reality.
1: But what difference would it make my being there? I'm not an analyst. I'm just a nurse. Have you discussed with her the idea of my coming out to Hassania?
4: Oh, yes, I have. And what
1: does she think about it?
4: She said she thought it was a very good idea. I was most pleasantly surprised, I can tell you. She said she would feel safer.
1: Safer? What a strange way to put it. Can't you tell me what it is your wife's afraid of?
4: I hope. uh, I believe that she will tell you that herself. I see. But you will come. You will accept?
1: Yes, Dr. Leidner, I will accept.
4: And how soon can you come?
1: Just give me a couple of days to clear up my things here.
4: Then I will make arrangements for your arrival on Friday. The journey to Hassanir takes approximately 36 hours from Baghdad. You must take the train to Kirkuk. Someone will be there to meet you.
2: Well, you have to be Nurse Leatherman, don't you? Seeing as how you're the only white girl to get off
1: the train. I'm Bill Coleman. How do you do, Mr. Coleman? How are you feeling? A beastly journey and all that. Pretty beastly. I'm not very good at sleeping on trains. this your kit? Well, it isn't anyone else's. It's pretty
2: modest. Mrs. Leidner had four suitcases and a trunk. To say nothing of hat boxes, a patent pillow and this and that and the other. Uh, the bus is just outside. The bus? The station wagon. I should warn you it's not very well sprung. You'd better be prepared for a bumpy journey.
1: Is there much more of this?
2: About another couple of hours. What are you complaining about? It's very good for you. Jogs the liver a bit.
1: Stimulated liver won't be much good to me if my head's split open.
2: (laughs) Have you ever been out on a dig before? No, never. And you know any of the people out at Hassanir? No one, apart from Dr. Leidner, of course. They're a very mixed assortment, but most archaeological expeditions are. There's an English architect, Richard Carey, and Father Lavigny, who's French with a big black beard. (laughs) He works on the inscriptions.
1: Inscriptions?
2: He deciphers the tablets and things that turn up. He's an expert on ancient languages, walking Rosetta Stone. There's Writer who does the photography, and Joseph Mikado and his wife. I've never quite worked out where they come from, but she's pretty weird. And David Emmett, a young American who seems to know something about pottery. Oh, and of course, there's Miss Johnson, Who's been on most of Leidner's expeditions? I think he probably dug her up in Ur of the Chaldees. Where did Leidner find you anyway?
1: I was recommended by Dr. Riley.
2: Oh, that accounts for it. We don't see much of Riley out at Tell Yaremia. Tell what? Tell Yaremia! That's the name of the expedition house. Riley lives with his daughter in Hassania itself. Her name's Sheila. I've arranged for you to have lunch with her while I do some very necessary shopping.
6: what on earth does she need a nurse for she's already got the whole expedition looking after her and attending at her beckoned call
1: i suppose dr leidner feels they've got their own work to do
6: well all the same a professional nurse that's going it a bit isn't it you don't think there's anything wrong with her of course there's nothing wrong with her the woman's as strong as an ox she's bored that's her trouble she's not even remotely interested in archaeology so she provides her own drama But Leidner just can't see it. Dear Louise hasn't had a wink of sleep, he'll say. She's got dark circles round her eyes. Of course, anyone but him would know she puts them there with a blue pencil.
1: Perhaps she's nervous living out there miles from anywhere.
6: What on earth is there to be nervous of? God knows there are enough of them living in the expedition house. And they've got guards. No, she's not really nervous. At least... At least what? Bill took me over there the other day. It was in the morning. Most of the expedition were out at the dig. Mrs Leidner was sitting writing a letter, and I suppose she didn't hear us coming. She must have seen Bill's shadow thrown on the wall, and she let out the most frightful scream. She apologised afterwards, of course. She said she thought it was a strange man. Bit odd, that. Mm. I mean, even if it was a strange
1: man, why scream the place down? Mm, It does seem a bit odd. What did Leidner tell you about her? Oh, he just said that she'd be safer if I was there.
6: Mm. She's certainly very jumpy. Mind you, they all look pretty desperate. I don't know what's the matter with them. Miss Johnson goes about so glum she can't open her mouth. And poor Carey looks a nervous wreck, as if he's going to snap in two at any moment. Oh! there's Bill back in the station wagon. You'll be able to judge for yourself soon enough.
2: That's where the dig is, over there, that great mound by the bend in the river.
1: Well, workmen look like ants running all over it.
2: It's knocking off time. The only time of the day you'll ever see them run. <laughs> uh. And this is the expedition house. Not much to look at, I'm afraid.
1: It's a bit like a prison.
2: I'll drop you off in the courtyard. And there are the boys washing the pottery. They go on like that all the time. You'll soon get used to it. And here comes her ladyship.
0: Mr Coleman, you've been away ages. You must be Nurse Leatheran.
2: That's right, Mrs L. Sari Gamp in person. This will be your room, Nurse
0: Leatheran. It's pretty plain, I'm afraid, but I hope you'll find it comfortable enough. I'm sure I shall. I do hope you'll be happy here and not get too bored. I don't get bored much. Life's too short. Tell me, nurse, what exactly did my husband say about me?
1: To tell you the truth, he said very little. I gathered you were a bit run down and all that. He said you wanted someone to look after you and to take any worries off your hands. Yes, well,
0: battles do very well.
1: I hope you'll let me help you with anything that needs doing around the house. I don't mind what I do. You mustn't let me be idle. Another pair of hands is always useful. I'm very grateful. What brought you out to the Middle East? I came out here with Mrs. Kelsey. She was worried about making the journey with the baby all on her own. So why didn't she want you to stay on? She'd already arranged for someone to look after the baby out here.
0: Of course. Have you ever been in America, Nurse Letheran? No such
1: luck, I'm afraid. And you don't have any relatives out there? No. I've an aunt out in New Zealand, but I haven't heard from her for years. I'm sorry,
0: You mustn't think I'm trying to interrogate you. It's just that my husband told me so little about you. Would you like me to show you around the place? Thank you. I'd
7: appreciate that.
0: The whole house is built around the courtyard. Everything the expedition needs is here. Laboratory, photographic room, drawing office, living quarters... Bathrooms? (laughs) If you can call a tin hip bath on a mud floor a bathroom... They're over there in the northeast corner.
1: And all the doors in the house open onto the courtyard?
0: Yes. There aren't any doors on the outside. The only way in is through the archway.
1: Does that noise go on all day long? Most of the time.
0: My husband insists that there is someone on guard through the day. By night, the archway doors are locked. Is it such a dangerous place? Oh, the guards aren't here to look after us. They're protecting the antiquities.
3: Good afternoon, Mrs. Leidner. Are you showing our new recruit the mysteries of Tel Yaramir? Miss Johnson is one of the expedition's old faithfuls. This is Nurse Leatherin. Hmm, I hope you had a comfortable journey out here from Baghdad. That wouldn't be my word for it. Let's just say that I'm glad to be here. I'm sure you'll settle down here in no time. But I mustn't interrupt you, Mrs. Leidner. I was taking Nurse Leatherin to show her the antica room. Oh, that's the best place to start. Give us some idea of how rewarding the everyday routine of excavation can be.
1: It's a pity all the pots and things are so broken. Are they really worth keeping? You mustn't let my husband hear
0: you say that. Pottery is what interests Eric more than anything else. Some of these are the oldest things they've found. They may be 7,000 years old. Goodness. I'll show you something much more exciting. Just look at this. Oh, that's really beautiful. Is it a drinking cup? Yes. Do you see the little ram's heads? Is it gold? Oh, yes, it's gold. It's the most precious thing they've found. Oh. That's odd. What's odd? There are flakes of wax on it, as if somebody had been looking at it by candlelight.
1: <laughs> what on earth are these? <laughs> They're little figurines, terracotta. They're very rude. What <laughs> nasty minds those old people must have had.
8: Oh, forgive me, uh, I do not mean to disturb you.
1: Do come in, Father. Nurse, this is
0: Father Lavigny. Oh,
8: good afternoon, Nurse.
0: I've been showing her some of our treasures.
8: Yes, they have found some really remarkable things. Look at this. It's a
0: dagger. Early Acadian, isn't it, Father?
8: I believe so. And is that gold as well? It is. Such things are very rare. Uh, most of the tombs on the mound had been plundered centuries before. This came from a royal tomb which the grave robbers had not found. Oh,
0: it'll be getting dark soon. Would you like to come up on the roof and see the sunset, nurse? It's usually very beautiful about this time. I'd love to. The stairs up to the roof are in the far corner
9: over there. Ah, uh, good evening, Mrs. Lightner. Good evening, Mr. Carey. You've been working late. I've been trying to mark out an outline of the walls of the temple, but it seems a hopeless task. Let me introduce
0: Nurse Leatheran, Mr. Carey. How do you do? You must take her out to the dig tomorrow. I'm sure she'd be very interested.
9: It would be a pleasure.
0: We're just going up to the roof to watch the sunset. Will you come with us?
9: I've seen enough sunsets to last me a lifetime, Mrs. Leidner. And I'm rather tired.
0: Come on then, nurse. This way. Were there many people on the train from Baghdad?
1: I didn't notice anyone in particular. Were there any? White men? There were a couple of Frenchmen in the restaurant car on the first evening, but they got off earlier, I think. And there were three men who seemed to have something to do with the pipeline. And that was all? As far as I know, yes.
0: Beautiful, isn't it? Mm. That's the River Tigris down there. And you can just see Hassanir on the horizon. It looks like something out of the Arabian Nights. This is very like the ones we found at Borsin. And there's my husband, totally absorbed in his querns. His what? Querns. Heavy stones that were used for grinding corn. All the larger stone finds are kept up here. Eric,
4: isn't it a
10: lovely evening?
4: Lovely, lovely.
10: Your husband's much too preoccupied to look at things like sunsets, Louise. Archaeologists only look at what lies beneath their feet.
0: Mrs. Mercado, this is Nurse Leatherin.
10: We are all so glad that you could come here, nurse. We've all been so worried about dear Mrs. Leitner. Have you? Oh, yes. She really has been very bad nurse. All sorts of alarms and terrors. Her nerves have really been all to pieces, haven't they, Louise dear?
0: So much that I seem to have got on your nerves with them.
4: Louise, could you come with me? There's something I must show you downstairs.
0: Excuse me, nurse. I'll see you later.
4: Dear Eric, he's devoted to
10: her. You know it certainly looks like it. Tell me, are you a
1: mental nurse? <laughs> Gracious, no, what made you think that
10: she's been so strange. Didn't Dr. Leitner tell you?
1: I gather she hasn't been quite her normal self,
10: <laughs> normal, I should say not, frightening us all to death. One night, it was fingers tapping on her window but when it came to a yellow face pressed against the glass, which vanished as soon as she opened it... Well, I ask you, it is a bit creepy for all of us. Perhaps someone was playing a spiteful trick on her. Oh, no. She fancied it all. And only three days ago at dinner, they were firing shots in the village, nearly a mile away, and she jumped up and screamed out, scared us all to death. As for Dr. Leitner, he rushed over to her and behaved in the most ridiculous way. It's nothing, darling, it's nothing at all, he kept saying. I think you know, nurse, men sometimes encourage women in these hysterical fancies. Delusions should not be encouraged. Not if they are delusions. What else could they be?
1: It sounds a very strange business. Mm.
10: She's the sort of woman things happen to. She's very romantic-looking, don't you think? Have many things
1: happened to her?
10: Well, her first husband was killed in the war when she was only twenty.
1: That must have happened to thousands of women.
10: It's getting dark. We should go down. Would you like to take a look around the laboratory? Hmm. My husband will be working there.
1: Thank you, I'd love to.
10: Where on earth can he have got to? The lamp's still lit and he's left a bottle of acetone out. What goes on in the
1: laboratory exactly?
10: Cleaning, restoring, preserving. Nearly all the copper finds need to be treated. And the pottery is covered in the mud of countless centuries. Washing in water won't get it off. Mm. Joseph, my husband, uses a solution of hydrochloric acid. Mm. Where can he be? He must have gone into the drawing office.
9: Good evening, Mrs. Mikado. What can I do for you?
10: We were looking for Joseph. Have you seen him?
9: I think you'll find him in the living room, with Mrs. Leidner. I believe it may be a
11: figure of Ishtar. Ishtar? The Babylonian Venus. She aroused amorous desire in all the creatures of the earth. She had many lovers, but her love was fatal. To love Ishtar was to embrace death. There is an old legend that she once descended into hell. At each of the gateways, she had to surrender one of her garments. At the last gate...
10: Oh, there you are, Joseph. We've been looking everywhere for you.
0: Oh,
11: I'm sorry, Marie. I was just telling Mrs. Leiden. You must
0: finish telling me some other time,
11: Joseph. It was very interesting.
10: I've got to talk to you, Joseph. Good night, Louise. Good night, nurse. Uh,
11: Good night. Good
10: night,
1: Marie. Good night, Mrs. Mercado.
0: Poor Marie. I don't think she's very pleased with me. She certainly looked pretty angry. I'm glad you're here, nurse. I have the feeling that you will bring a little sanity to this place at long last. God
1: knows we need it. March the 4th. I really do like Mrs. Lydner very much. But I can see how easily she can make enemies. And there's something strange about her which reminds me of a poem I had to learn at school. La belle dame sans merci. And Mr Carey looks the very image of a knight-at-arms.
9: The palace itself would have extended as far as that marker over there. You can get an idea of the walls. It was constructed around a central court, rather like the expedition house. But, of course, there would have been an upper story. You don't look very impressed.
1: It isn't quite what I expected. In what way? Well, it doesn't look much of a palace, does it? I expected something like the pictures I've seen of Crete or the things they found in Tutankhamen's tomb.
9: Somehow, I don't think you have the archaeological temperament.
1: How on earth can you tell there would have been two stories?
9: Well, that's where we hope that Father Lavigny may be able to help us. Good morning, Father. Uh, Did you have any luck with the tablets we found yesterday? uh,
8: They are so badly worn, it is
9: difficult to make out anything at all. Uh, But I shall persevere. Ah, it sounds as if the boys might have found something. I'd better get over there before they do any damage. Excuse me, Nurse Leatheran.
8: Mm. You really are a nurse, then?
1: That's why I'm here.
8: Is uh, Mrs. Leitner truly ill?
1: Not exactly ill.
8: She is another woman. A dangerous woman, I think.
1: What on earth do you
12: mean by
8: that? I think she is ruthless. And yet, though she is so hard like stone, like marble... Yet she is afraid. What is she afraid of?
1: I imagine that's what we'd all like to
8: know. It is odd here. Do you find it so?
1: It doesn't feel comfortable, if that's what you mean.
8: I have the idea that something is preparing itself. Here comes Dr. Ladner. Something is worrying him also.
1: His wife's health?
8: That perhaps. But there is more. There is... Shall I put it? An uneasiness.
4: Yes, time you were getting back to tell Yaramia. Louise will probably be up by now. I will walk back with you. Goodbye, Father Lavigny. Horvans, You've made an excellent impression on Louise. She's taken to you at once. I'm so glad. She really likes you. I feel that everything is going to be all right now.
0: I haven't slept so well for weeks. It must be all your doing, nurse. (laughs) I'm not aware that I've done anything at all. It's just your being here that counts. I think I shall go out for a short stroll,
4: Eric. Excellent. Nurse Leatherin can go with you. No,
0: that won't be necessary. I want to go alone. Nurse isn't to feel so much on duty that I'm not allowed out of her sight. Oh, that doesn't matter.
1: I'd love to come.
0: No, really. I'd rather you didn't. It's important for me to be by myself every now and then. It's necessary to me. Why don't you curl up with a good book?
1: Left you to your own devices, have they, nurse? (laughs) Mrs. Leiden has gone out for a walk, and Dr. Leiden has gone back to the dig, I think. Ah, you can't keep him away from it. He's like a child with a new toy when something
3: exciting turns up. He's always been like that. You've known him for some time, then? Oh, yes. I've lost count of the number of expeditions we've been on together. <laughs> I can't tell you what fun we used to have. He and Richard Carey and I, the first years we were out here, we were such a happy party. <laughs> Richard Carey's worked with him for ten years or more, of course. I find him difficult to talk to. He seems rather reserved. It didn't used to be like that. It's only since... Uh... Only since when? Oh, well, a good many things are changed nowadays. I'm afraid I'm a rather conservative old fogey. (laughs) I sometimes think that if an archaeologist's wife isn't really interested, it would be wiser for her not to accompany the expedition. It often leads to friction. You're speaking of Mrs. Leidner? Uh, She's a very charming woman, of course. Uh, And one can quite understand why Dr. Leidner fell for her, but I can't help feeling she's out of place here. She unsettles things. In what way? It affects him. I know I'm like a faithful, jealous old dog, but even so, I don't like to see him so worn out and worried. His whole mind ought to be on his work, not taking her with his wife and her silly fears. If she's nervous of coming to out-of-the-way places, she ought to stay stayed in America.
1: Of one thing I am certain. Mrs. Leidner is genuinely afraid of a real flesh-and-blood person. Late this afternoon, perhaps because she was worried that she might have hurt my feelings earlier, she took me for a walk with her by the river. On our way back to the house, she suddenly noticed a man trying to look in at one of the windows. She seemed very frightened, but she calmed down when she realized that he was an Arab. Later on, I saw the man talking to Father Lavigny. He seemed to be asking the way to...
7: Nurse.
1: Nurse. What is it? What's the matter? There's someone in
0: the room next to mine. I heard him scratching on the wall. I'm sure it's nothing. Try to keep calm, Mrs. Lightner. Wait, my husband. I'm going back to my room.
4: Where exactly was the noise coming from? From the
0: other side of that wall.
4: But that's the Antica room. How did anyone get in there? The
0: Antica room? Of course. How stupid of me. Nothing to do with me at all. A thief must have broken in.
4: It's all right, my dear. Father Lavigny heard it too. He was here when I arrived. I heard footsteps outside my window, and then I thought I saw a light in the antechamber. room.
8: And by the time I got here, there was no sign of anyone. The door was locked as usual.
4: And the courtyard door is locked. Is anything missing?
8: Nothing, as far as I can tell.
4: I was checking the shelves when you arrived. That must have been the noise which disturbed you, my dear. Just Father Lavigny taking down the boxes to see if anything had been stolen.
1: Yes, that is what it
0: must have been.
1: I'll take you back to your room, Mrs. Lightner.
0: Can you stay with me for a little while, nurse? I must talk to you. Of course. I know it's late and you're probably tired out, but I've made up
1: my mind to tell you everything. I must tell someone, or I shall go mad. I think it would be just as well. It's not easy to know the best thing to do when one's kept in the dark. Do you know what I'm frightened of? Just tell me.
0: I'm afraid of being murdered. By whom? By my first husband. But I thought he was dead. So I once believed. But now I'm no longer so sure. All I know is that he intends to kill me, whether he's dead or alive. at the very beginning when I was a girl of 20 I married he was a young man from one of our state departments this was in 1918
1: mrs. Macardo told me
0: he was killed in the war that's what most people believe the truth is somewhat different I'd only been married for a few weeks when I discovered that my husband was a spy in the pay of the Germans I learned that the information which he had supplied to them had led directly to the sinking of an American transport ship with a loss of thousands of lives. how
1: terrible!
0: I don't know what most people would have done. I was young and very patriotic. I thought my country could do no wrong. I went straight to my father, who was in the War Department, and told him what I'd discovered. Frederick was killed in the war, but not on the Western Front. He was shot as a spy in America. Everyone thought he died a hero's death. I had a lot of sympathy and kindness shown to me as a war widow. There were proposals of marriage, but I always refused. I didn't feel I could ever trust anyone again.
1: Yes, I can imagine feeling
0: like that. Then I became very fond of a certain young man, and I no longer felt quite so certain about not marrying again. But then an amazing thing happened. I got a letter from Frederick saying that if I ever married again, he'd kill me. From Frederick? You mean from your dead husband? I thought at first I was going mad. I went to see my father and he told me that Frederick had not in fact been shot. He had escaped, but his escape had done him no good. He was in a terrible train crash a few days later and his body was found in the wreckage.
1: They were certain it was him?
0: My father was certain that it was, but the body was very disfigured. He dismissed the letter as a cruel and malicious hoax.
1: And were there any more letters? Oh, yes.
0: Whenever I seemed to get interested in the man, I would receive a letter threatening my life.
1: In your husband's writing?
0: That is difficult to say. I had no letters of his. I had only my memory to go on. So what happened then? Three years ago, nearly 14 years after Frederick's death, I met Eric Leidner. I still had no intention of getting married, but Eric made me change my mind. Right up to the day we were married, I expected another threatening letter to arrive. None came. I decided that whoever the writer might be, he was either dead or had given up. Two days after our marriage, I got this.
1: You have disobeyed. Now you cannot escape. You have got to die. Your own husband, Frederick Bosner.
0: I was frightened, but not as much as I might have been. Being with Eric made me feel safe. Then. A second letter arrived. Did you show it to Dr. Leidner? I showed him both of them. He thought that perhaps someone was intending to blackmail me. But then we had a narrow escape from gas poisoning. Someone entered our apartment while we were asleep and turned on the gas. Luckily, I awoke and smelt it in time. But did you go to the police? Eric wanted to, but I wouldn't hear of it. In the end, we agreed that I should accompany him out here with the expedition. I felt safe with half the world between me and my enemy. Mm. Then, three weeks ago, I received this. Postmarked Baghdad.
1: You thought you could escape. You were wrong. You shall not be false to me and live. Death is coming very soon.
0: And then a week ago, I got this. It was just lying on the table there i have arrived it hadn't even gone through the post he may already be here that was why i was so frightened when we saw that man you'd recognize your husband i suppose i can't even be sure of that after so many years i might not recognize his face i thought i saw it one night but it was a dead face a ghastly face against the window and i seemed to hear a voice telling me that i was going to die i just screamed and screamed but they said there was nothing there Nurse, now do you understand why I am frightened?
1: I gave her a sleeping pill and put her to bed. This morning she seemed calmer, but rather distant. I mentioned to Dr. Leidner that she had told me everything and he seemed very relieved. Bill Coleman was going into Hassania and she gave me some letters for him to take to catch the airmail. It was the first time I had seen her handwriting, and I couldn't help noticing that it was extraordinarily like the writing on the anonymous letters. Could she possibly have written them herself? Now it's Saturday afternoon, and all is peace and quiet. The boy is washing pottery in the courtyard, and David Emmett, the American, is trying to sort out the fragments. As for Mrs. Leidner, she is resting in her room she didn't seem to want to talk about last night
4: nurse nurse you must come quickly what on earth's the matter my wife please come my wife what's happened to her she's over there by the side of her bed what's going on Hammett. what is it it's my wife i think she's dead
12: yes she's dead oh my god it looks as though someone's hit her a massive
1: blow on the head. Get Dr. Leidner out of here, Mr. Emmett. He needs a breath of air. And see if you can find Miss Johnson. Oh,
12: She's in the living room, I think. Louise. <laughs> <And it weeds>. Louise. <laughs> you better lock the door, nurse, so that nothing will be disturbed.
2: Well, well, look who's here. Sary Gamp, as I live and breathe. <sighs> What's the matter? You look as though the cat's got your canary.
1: Mrs. Leidner's dead. What do you mean? You're pulling my leg? Mrs. Leidner has been killed. What did you say, nurse? What has happened to Mrs. Leidner? She has been murdered.
10: Murdered? You can't mean that. She must have done it herself.
1: Suicides don't hit themselves a massive blow on the head. It's murder, all right, Mrs.
12: Mikado.
10: Oh, it's horrible.
12: Murder! Dr. Leidner's in his room. Miss Johnson's looking after him. What do you think we should do? I think you'd better get back to Hassania as quick as you can. Captain Maitland's the man to get in touch with, I think. Uh, I've no idea what the procedure is. Uh, Get hold of Riley. He'll know what to do.
10: Uh, Someone must have slipped in through the gate when the
12: boys weren't looking. Yes, that's what must have happened. I'll go and talk to them.
5: I'd like to have a word with you alone, nurse, while we've got the chance. Captain Maitland has arrived and is interviewing all the members of the expedition. But there's one fact I want you to help me to establish. The time of the murder. When was it exactly that Dr. Leidner found his wife's body?
1: I should say it was a quarter to three, Doctor.
5: And how do you know that?
1: I happened to look at my watch after I got out from examining the body.
5: Ah. And did you form any opinion as to how long she'd been dead? Obviously, it would only be a guess. Yes, but even so...
1: I should say that she'd been dead at least an hour.
5: Hmm which agrees with my own estimate. I'm inclined to put the time of death between 1.15 and 1.45. Half past one, that's near enough. Ah, Captain Maitland, do come in. Sit down, Eric, you look all in. I'm all right. Well, Captain, have you completed your
13: investigation? Completed it? I've scarcely started. I've talked to people, if that's what you mean.
4: Uh, I thought we should review the case quietly. Look, are you sure you feel up to this, Eric? I must find out what has happened. Uh, There's something very
13: odd about the whole thing.
4: There is one possible explanation. Nurse, I understand you had a long talk with my wife last night.
1: Yes, that's so.
4: I think perhaps that you should tell Captain Maitland and Dr. Riley what she told you.
1: Very well. She said that she was frightened that somebody was going to kill her. She'd had a number of threatening letters.
13: Uh, Did she have any idea who sent them?
5: Oh, yes. She believed
1: that they'd been written by her first husband.
13: But I thought he was killed in the
1: war. It seems it wasn't as simple as that. Let me explain.
13: I have arrived. Just that?
1: Yes. It was left on her table.
4: Uh, Do you know where these letters are now? She kept them in her writing desk. They're probably still there. I wanted you to hear the story from Nurse Leatherin's lips... It would have sounded too unbelievable coming from me. But do you
13: believe yourself, Leidner, that the letters actually came from your wife's first husband?
4: I cannot be sure. There is another possibility. She told me that her husband had a brother, a younger brother who was quite fanatically devoted to him. She thought that he might be trying to punish her for betraying her husband. But whoever he is, the man is a dangerous lunatic.
1: There's something else that perhaps I should mention. I was out walking with Mrs. Leidner yesterday when we noticed a man standing near the expedition house peering in through the windows. Later that afternoon, I saw him talking with Father Lavigny.
4: What kind of man?
1: He wore Western clothes, but I don't think he was a European.
4: He was probably there to look the place over and report when the coast was clear. Uh, I don't think we shall
13: find that it's as simple as all that. Now Leidner, this is a review of the evidence we've got up to date. Lunch was over, about 20 to 1. Your wife went to her room, and Nurse Leatheran saw that she was comfortably settled. You yourself went up to the roof, where you spent the next couple of hours. Uh, Did you come down from there at all?
4: No, no, I didn't. Uh, Did anyone come up to see you? Yes, Emmett did, fairly regularly. He went to and fro between me and the boy who was washing pottery in the courtyard. Right. I'm
13: now going to read you exactly what every member of your expedition says they were doing between one and two this afternoon. But I don't see what the point well, is. You'll see what I'm driving at in a minute. Let's start with the Mercados. Mr. Macado says he was working in the laboratory. Mrs. Macado says she was in her room shampooing her hair. Miss Johnson was in the living room taking impressions of cylinder seals. Mr. Writer was in the photographic room developing plates. Father Lavigny was in his room working on an inscription. Carey was out at the dig... And Coleman was in Hassanir. And what about the servants? Without exception, they were all sitting around outside the archway chatting with the guards.
4: Yes, they always
13: gather there. And they remained there until 2.30, by which time your wife was
4: already dead. What are you hinting at, Maitland? Is there any means of access to your wife's room except by the door into the courtyard? No, there are two windows, but there are heavy bars on the outside. And besides, I think they were shut.
1: Yes, they were closed and locked on the inside.
13: So... To have got to your wife's room, a stranger must have come through the archway into the courtyard. But we have the assurance of the guard and the houseboys that nobody did so. What are you implying? Well, surely you must see, Eric. If the killer didn't come from outside, he must have come from inside. It looks as though Mrs. Leidner must have been murdered by a member of your own expedition. That's impossible. Why,
4: every single member of the expedition was devoted to Louise. You can't get away from the facts. I absolutely refuse to accept what you say. There must be another explanation. May I make a suggestion? Of course. Go ahead. Have you ever heard of a man called Hercule Poirot? I think I once heard Mr. didn't speak of him. He is a private detective, is he not? That's the man. But
5: surely he lives in London? He lives in London, but he is presently in Syria. And tomorrow he will be passing through Hassania on his way to Baghdad. How do you know this? I heard it from the French consul. He's been disentangling some military scandal.
4: And you are suggesting that we should appeal to this man, Poirot, to
13: help us? Mm. What do you think, Captain Maitland? Uh, I'd be grateful for his cooperation. Frankly, Leidner, this business of your wife's death seems to be rather out of my class. But what if he refuses? He won't refuse. He's a
5: professional like me. If a really intricate case of, say, cerebrospinal meningitis came my way and I was invited to lend a hand, I shouldn't be able to refuse. This is no ordinary case, Eric. Poirot won't be able to resist it.
1: We were all called to the dining room a little while after Mr Poirot arrived. I don't know what I'd imagined. Something rather like Sherlock Holmes, I suppose. Mr Poirot looked just like a hairdresser.
14: It is likely, I think, that you have none of you been brought into contact with a case of murder before. Mm. I feel it my duty to warn you that there will be unpleasantness, a considerable amount of unpleasantness. How do you mean unpleasantness? I mean suspicion, Mr Coleman. You are all under suspicion here in this house.
10: How dare you say such a thing? Dr. Leitner, you can't just sit there and let this odious little Try to
14: control
4: yourself, Marie. I am
14: merely asking you to face the facts, Mrs. Mercado. In a house where murder has been committed, every person comes in for a certain share of suspicion.
10: But the murderer must have come from outside. It's obvious to
8: anyone. It is
14: not obvious to me, madame. First, I assure myself that everyone in this room is innocent. After that, I seek the murderer elsewhere.
8: Is it not possible
14: that you may be a little late in the day? The tortoise, mon père, overtook the hare. We are in
8: your hands. Convince yourself as soon as you can of our innocence in this terrible business.
14: But perhaps, mon père, the church will set an example. Ask any questions you please of me. I understand this is your first season here. Where do you come from, exactly? The Order of the Pays Blanc at Carthage. Were you at any time acquainted with Mrs. Leidner before coming here? No. I had never seen her before. Will you tell me what you were doing at the time of the tragedy? I was working on some cuneiform tablets in my room. Could you hear what was happening in the courtyard? Not very
8: much. I heard Mr. Emmett passing my room and going up to the roof once or twice.
14: Mm -hmm. Now, two nights ago, I understand there was a burglary here. That is so. I thought I saw a light in the antique room. Do you believe, do you not, that some unauthorized person was on the premises at that time? I do not know what to think. Nothing was taken or disturbed in any way. Supposing a stranger had been on the premises, could he have concealed himself somewhere until the following day? I hardly think it would be possible. There is no way he could have hidden away. There is another point. The other day, Nurse Leatherman noticed you talking to a man outside the expedition house. She had previously seen that same man trying to peer in at one of the windows. Did you speak to this man first, or did he speak to you?
8: I believe that he spoke to me. What did he want? He said, I think, something to the effect of, was this the American expedition house? And then something about the Americans employing a lot of men on their work. I really did not understand him very well. He was not a European? Oh, no, he spoke Arabic. Can you describe him? He was rather a short man, uh, squarely built. He had a very noticeable squint. Mm -hmm. Does that agree with the way you would describe him, nurse? Not exactly.
1: I should have said he was tall and rather thin. I didn't notice any squint.
14: Ah, Ah, it is always so. The description of the same man by two different people never does it agree. But let us continue our inquiry. What have you to tell us, Mr. Emmott?
12: I was working on the pottery in the courtyard from a quarter to one till a quarter to three. Overseeing the boy, Abdullah, sorting it through and occasionally going up to the roof to help Dr. Leidner. How often did you go up there? Four times, I think. And for how long? Usually a couple of minutes, but on one occasion I must have been up there for ten minutes or more discussing with Dr. Leidner what to keep and what to
14: get rid of. And I understand that when you came down the boy had left his place? Yes, he'd gone over to gossip with the others who were outside the archway. And that is the only time he left his work? I sent him up to the roof once or twice. I imagine that it is hardly necessary to ask whether you saw anyone enter or leave Mrs. Leidner's room. I saw no one at all. Nobody even came out into the courtyard during the two hours I was working there. Can you tell us what time it was when both you and the boy were absent and the courtyard was empty? It must have been about half past one. Does that agree with your estimate of the time of death, Dr. Riley? Oh, it does indeed. Mm. Then I think we can take it that Mrs. Leidner met her death during that ten minutes.
10: Oh, I can't bear it. It's so terrible.
14: Terrible, it undoubtedly is, Mrs. Mercado, but it is essential that we all keep calm. (sighs) Tell me of the way in which you spent yesterday afternoon.
10: I was washing my hair. I told Captain Maitland, it seems awful to have been doing something so ordinary and not to know what was going on.
14: Did the murder come as a surprise to you
10: what on earth do you mean by that
14: what should i mean madame you have told everyone how fond you were of mrs leidner i thought that perhaps she may have confided in you
10: oh i see no dear louise never told me anything about someone wanting to kill her of course i could see she was terribly worried and nervous and there were all those strange occurrences Tapping at the window and ghostly
1: faces. Fancies, I think you called them, Mrs. McCarty.
14: Let us move on. Miss Johnson, according to the statement, you were working in the living room at the time of the murder.
3: Uh, That's right. I was taking impressions of some cylinder seals. And
14: you saw and noticed nothing? No. Are you quite sure?
3: No. There was nothing, really.
14: Is there something that comes back to you vaguely? Something you saw out of the corner of your eye, hardly knowing that you saw it?
3: No, definitely not. Something that
14: you might have heard, or even imagined you had heard?
3: I can't be sure. I have imagined since that at some time during the afternoon I heard a very faint cry. All the windows in the living room were open, and uh, there were all sorts of sounds from the people working in the barley fields. But you see, uh, since then, I... I've somehow got it into my head that it was Mrs. Leidner that I heard. And that's worried me a great deal, because if I'd jumped up and run along to her room, I might have been the. Don't entitled.
5: start getting ideas like that into your head, Miss Johnson. I've no doubt that Mrs. Leidner... Well, forgive me, Eric. Was struck down almost as soon as the murderer entered the room and was killed instantly. Otherwise, she would have had time to call for help.
3: Still, I might have caught the murderer.
5: What time was this, mademoiselle?
3: Oh, it's so difficult to say... Since I was scarcely conscious of it at the time, I suppose it must have been about half past one. Half
14: past one. Mm. He would to agree with the time of her death.
3: You know, Monsieur Poirot, the more I think about it, I do not believe that I could possibly have heard a cry uttered in Mrs Leidner's room from where I was. The antica room was between me and her, and I understand that her windows were closed.
4: In any case... Do not distress yourself, mademoiselle. You must be sensible, Anne. What you probably heard was someone shouting in the fields. They do it all the time.
3: You're probably right. usual thing, after a mystery, people start imagining
14: things. So, let us move on. Has anyone else got anything to contribute about the events of yesterday afternoon?
1: As far as I could judge, Mr Poirot didn't manage to extract anything of interest from the other members of the expedition. Carey had been out on the dig, Coleman in Hassania, writer who had spent the afternoon in the photographic room, was as embarrassed and tongue-tied as usual. Eventually, Mr Poirot let everyone go, apart from Dr Riley and Dr Leidner.
14: Oh, uh, Nurse Leatheron perhaps you would be so kind as to remain also. I think your assistance will be invaluable to us. of
1: course.
14: eh bien, we are now private and undisturbed. we have heard what the members of the expedition have to tell us.
1: but surely...
14: yes ma what is it that you think?
1: it's just that perhaps even if anyone did know or suspect something it wouldn't be easy to bring it out in front of everyone else particularly in front of Dr. Leibniz. That
14: is very true. But let me explain. In England, before the races, you have a parade of the horses, do you not? They go in front of the grandstand so that everyone may have the opportunity of assessing them. That is the purpose of the little assembly you have just witnessed. I run my eye over the likely starters.
1: I understand.
14: (laughs) Now to a few formalities. Had your wife made a will, Dr. Leitner? I do not think so. And where was that?
4: It did not seem worth it, from her point of view. Was she not a wealthy woman? Yes, during her lifetime. Her father left her a considerable sum of money and trust. She could not touch the capital. At her death, it was to pass to any children she might have, and failing children to the Pittstown Museum.
14: And there were no children? No. Then we can dismiss one motive from the case. It is you comprehend what I look for first who benefits by the deceased's death. In this case, it is a museum. The next step is to examine the possible motives of the husband
13: of the deceased. Oh, come on now, Monsieur Poirot.
14: I do not fear, Doctor. In the first place, Dr. Leidner has been proved never to have gone near his wife's room yesterday afternoon. In the second, he loses rather than gains by his wife's death. And in the third... Yes, Monsieur Poirot. In the third place, I can recognize devotion when I see it. I believe, Dr. Leitner, that your love for your wife was the ruling passion of your life. That is so. Therefore, we can proceed. Yes, for goodness sake, let's get on with it. But do not be impatient, my friend. In a case like this, everything must be approached with order and method. We now come to a very important point. I think, Dr. Leidner, that you have not told me the whole truth. Oh, I assure you,
4: I have kept nothing back.
14: I think not. You have not told me, for instance, your real reason for installing Nurse Leveron in the house. But I explained to you
4: my wife's nervousness, her fears...
14: No, 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 no. does not make sense. Your wife is in danger. She is threatened with death. Yet you send, not for the police, not even for a private detective, but for a nurse. I thought... I thought that she... There can be only one answer. You did not yourself believe that your wife was in danger. I don't know. I don't know. But you do know. Did you suspect that the threatening letters were written by your wife herself?
4: God forgive me, I did.
14: Did you think the same nurse?
1: It never crossed my mind at the time... But yesterday morning, she gave me some letters for Bill Coleman to take to the post. The writing on the envelopes looked just like the writing on the anonymous letters.
14: Did you notice the similarities, Dr. Wagner?
4: Oh, yes. The writing on the letters was small and cramped. Not broad and generous like Louise's. But I couldn't help noticing that many of the letters were formed in exactly the same way. See for yourself, Monsieur Poirot. You've got the anonymous letters there. This is a letter in Louisa's own handwriting. But, Eric, when the possibility occurred to you that your wife had written the letters herself, what did you think? I wondered if all that worrying over her husband's death might not have affected my wife's brain in some way. I thought she might possibly have written the letters herself without being conscious of having done so. That is possible, isn't it? The human brain is
5: capable of almost anything.
14: Mm, I am no handwriting expert, but it does look as if the letters were written by the same person. But where does that get us? It seems to me that there are several possible solutions to the case as it stands. And what are they? Solution one, the simplest. Mrs. Leidner's first husband is still alive. He sends her the threatening letters and then somehow gets into the expedition house and kills her, leaving as mysteriously as he came. Solution two. For reasons which only a psychologist could explain, Mrs. Leidner writes herself threatening letters. She even stages the gas poisoning. But that doesn't explain who killed her. Then we must look among your staff for the killer, Dr. Leidner. I won't accept that. It is the only logical conclusion. Someone gets to know about the letters and kills Mrs. Lightner to satisfy a private grudge. He or she believes that the letters would divert any suspicion. The murder would be put down to a mysterious outsider. And what's the third solution? It is similar to the first, but infinitely more interesting to my mind. The letters are genuine. The murderer is Mrs. Lightner's first husband, or possibly his younger brother, and this man is actually a member of the expedition staff. But
4: that just
14: isn't possible. I fear it is all too possible. And if that is so, we have to proceed very warily, for it means that the murderer is still with us. And as I have so often observed, murder is a habit. To protect himself from discovery, the killer will not hesitate to strike again.
4: just not possible. What you're saying is absurd. Are you actually trying to suggest that my wife's former husband is a member of my expedition and that she did not recognize
14: him? That is exactly what I am suggesting, Dr. Leidner. Reflect for a little moment on the facts. Fifteen years ago, your wife lived with this man for a few weeks. Are you so certain that she would have known him again after all that time? I think not. His face will have changed. His build will have changed. But what about his voice, though? That, Dr. Riley, is a detail he is perfectly capable of attending to himself. And remember, she was not looking out for a man who would come from her own household. Is that not so, much, sir?
1: Mm, she certainly gave me the impression it was a stranger she was frightened of. She was very anxious to know who had been on the train I came on from Baghdad.
14: There is, of course, the second possibility that the killer may have been not Frederick Bosner, but his younger brother, William. Now, would she recognize a child of ten or twelve years old in a man nearing thirty? In his eyes, no doubt, his brother was a martyr for Germany, and Mrs. Leidner was a traitor, the
5: monster who sent his beloved brother to his death. It is possible, I suppose. A young mind can become so obsessed by an idea that it persists into adult life. So, we
14: have two potential candidates. Frederick Bosner, a man of 50, and his brother William, around 30. Let us consider the members of your staff from these two points of view.
4: I cannot believe that this is happening.
14: Even so, Dr. Leitner, we must proceed. So, who could positively not be Frederick or William
5: well, the women, for a start.
14: Which eliminates Mrs. Mercado and Miss Johnson and yourself, of course, Nurse. And
4: Richard Carey. Quite so. Impossible. We worked together for years, even before I met Louise. And he is the
14: wrong age. Too young for Frederick and too old for William. Father Lavinier.
4: Out of the question. He is known all over the world as an epigraphist. Even so, we cannot rule him out.
14: And he is the right age for Frederick Bosner.
4: Mercado. He has worked for years at the Holt Institute in New York. It is impossible that either of them should be the man we are after.
14: Impossible? The impossible I always examine very closely.
5: But let us pass on for the moment. Karl Reiter. Well, at least he's got a German name. And could be the right age for William Bosner. So is David Emmett.
4: He was with me last year. He
14: is a young man with a gift of patience. If he committed the crime, he would have taken his time planning it. And lastly, there's Bill Coleman. He
4: is an Englishman.
14: (laughs) That does not rule him out. The boy left America shortly after his brother's death. He might easily have been brought up in England.
5: You see, Monsieur Poirot has an answer for everything.
14: Of course. (coughs) So, on the first count, Frederick Bosner, we have two names, Father Lavigny and Mr. Mercado. Mm. On the second, William Bosner, we have Coleman, Reiter, and Emmott. That just about sums it up. Quite. So, now let us look at the case from a different angle. Means and opportunity. Who amongst the expedition had the means and the opportunity of committing the crime? Hmm? Carey was out at the dig, Coleman was in Hassania, and Dr. Leiter was on the roof. That leaves us with Father Lavigny, Mr. Mercado, Mrs. Mercado, David Emmott, Carl Reiter, Miss Johnson, and Nurse Leveron. Me? Yes. I am afraid, Nurse, that you have to be included. It would have been quite easy for you to have gone along and killed Mrs. Leiter while the courtyard was empty. You have plenty of strength and she would have been quite
5: unsuspicious oh, i've never heard anything so stupid now you mustn't suppose that your calling puts you
4: above suspicion nurse you can't include david emmett he was on the roof with me remember during those 10 minutes when the courtyard was empty no we can't throw him out He could have come
14: down, gone straight to your wife's room, and then called the boy over from the archway. Or he could have killed her on one of the occasions when the boy was up on the roof with you. What a nightmare.
4: It is all so fantastic.
14: Exactly. It is a fantastic crime. Usually murder is very sordid, very simple. But this is a crime of an unusual order. However, I suspect, Dr. Leidner, that your wife was an unusual woman
1: that's certainly true.
4: Nurse, you are an unprejudiced witness. Tell Monsieur Poirot what Louise was really like.
1: She was very lovely. You couldn't help admiring her and wanting to do things for her. I've never met anyone like her before.
4: Uh,
14: valuable testimony coming from an outsider. But let us proceed.
5: Under the heading of Means and Opportunity, who do we have? Miss Johnson, Mrs. Mercado, Mr. Writer, Mr. Emmet, and Nurse Leatheran. And if we put that together with our list of who might be Frederico William Bosner... We have four names, Father Lavigny, Mr. Mercado, David Emmet, and Carl Writer. But I keep on telling
4: you, Father Lavigny's out of the question. He's one of the Pierre Blanc at Carthage.
1: And his beard's quite real.
14: A murderer of the first class never wears a false beard.
1: How do you know that the murderer is of the first class?
14: Because if he were not, the whole truth would be plain to accuse Poirot at this instant, which it is not.
4: But in any case, it's quite ridiculous. Both Lavigny and Macardo have been well known in their field for years. That is
14: where you do not appreciate the essential point. If Frederick Bosner is not dead, what has he been doing all these years? He must have been building himself a different
5: identity... And a different career. As a holy father, you mean? (laughs) Well, I I suppose it's a sort of progression from being a spy. Um,
14: Tis a little fantastic, perhaps. But we cannot rule it out of court. Let us say no more at present. I would like now, if I may, to examine the room where the crime took place. Uh,
4: I've got the key. Maitland left it with me. Do you mind if I do not accompany you? Perhaps Nurse Leatherin. Of course,
14: of course. I quite understand. It would cause you unnecessary pain, if you would be good enough to come with us, Nurse Leatherin.
5: Certainly, Mr. Poirot. Uh, everything's just as it was. Nothing's been disturbed. The police didn't take anything away. No cupboards, no alcoves,
14: nowhere anyone could have hidden uh, Where was the body found? On the rug beside the bed. Hmm now um, this may seem a macabre request nurse but could you lie down on the rug and assume the attitude of the body as you found it (laughs) of course I'm not squeamish
5: Leidner lifted her head when he found her but I questioned him closely and it's obvious that he didn't change her position it seems quite straightforward
14: she was lying on the bed asleep or resting someone opens the door she looks up
5: rises to her feet and he strikes her down death would follow quite quickly. Uh, there would not be much blood from such a blow. No, the blood would have escaped internally into the brain. You see, what...
1: I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, do you still want me lying down here?
5: Oh, I had
14: quite <laughs> forgotten. No, 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 please, nurse, do it on. Thank you. It all seems straightforward enough, but for one thing... If the man who entered was a stranger, why did not Mrs. Leidner cry out at once for help? If she had screamed, she would surely have been heard by Nurse Leveron or by Emmett and the boy. Well, that's easily answered, because it wasn't a stranger. You are right, of course. She may have been surprised to see the person, but she was not afraid. Then, as he struck, she may have uttered a half-cry too late. The
1: cry Miss Johnson said she heard?
14: Yes, if she did hear it, but uh, on the whole, I doubt it. These mud walls are thick and the windows were closed she was actually lying down on the bed when you left her.
1: yes i made sure that she was comfortable enough to do it
14: and she was um uh, how shall i put it uh, quite as usual mm,
1: she seemed in quite good spirits just a shade off hand perhaps but i put that down to her confiding in me the night before it makes people a little uncomfortable sometimes
14: <laughs> yes i know that only too well <laughs> and when you came in here after dr light had found the body Was everything as you had seen it before? Yes, I
1: think so. I I can't remember anything being different.
14: There was no sign of the weapon with which you were struck?
1: No.
5: What was the weapon, in your opinion, Doctor? Something very powerful, of a fair size and without any sharp corners or edges. The round base of a statue, say, something like that. The blow was delivered with great force. Struck by a strong arm? Yes. Unless... Unless what? It is just possible that Mrs. Leidner might have been on her knees... In which case, the blow being delivered from above with a heavy instrument, the force needed would not have been so great. On her knees. It is an idea, that. After all, in view of the circumstances, it's not utterly fantastic. Her fear might lead her to kneel in supplication rather than to scream when her instinct would tell her it was too late, that nobody could get here in time.
1: I can't imagine her on her knees to anyone.
5: Can you not?
14: Now, you said that the windows were shut when you found her. That's right. Were they also shut when you left her at a quarter to one? Yes, they were always shut in the afternoon. There is no gauze to keep out the flies. Yes, I see. And uh, in any case, they are barred, and only a child could squeeze through them. Now, there is only one way into this room through the door. And there is only one way to the door, and that is through the courtyard. And there is only one entrance to the courtyard, through the archway. And outside that archway there were five people, and they all tell the same story. No one came that way. And I do not think that they are lying. No. The murderer came from inside. Ah, what is this? What is what? Here, on the rug by the washstand. Uh, what do you say doctor is that blood? it might be. I'll make sure if you like. if you would be so kind. Uh, nurse can you remember was this jug out of the basin or in it when you left Mrs. Leidner at a cross to one?
1: I can't be sure. I rather think it was standing in the basin but I only think so because it usually was.
14: I just feel that if it hadn't been I would have noticed it. I understand. it is your hospital training. And after the murder, was the jug standing at the side as it is now?
1: I didn't notice then. All I looked for was whether there was any place anyone could be hidden or if there was anything the murderer had left behind
5: him. It is blood, all right. Is it important?
14: Oh, how can I tell? It may mean nothing at all. I can say perhaps that the murderer touched her, that there was blood on his hands, and so he came over here and washed them. But I cannot jump to conclusions and say that it was so. There is no trace of blood in the basin. No, the stain may be of no importance at all.
5: Well, as I said, there would have been very little blood. Of course, if he'd probed the wound at all. We'd... No, what's the matter, nurse?
1: Oh, nothing. Just goose flesh, a goose walking over my grave.
5: Ah, you need to get away from here
14: for a while. <laughs> when we are finished, I am going back to Hassania with Dr. Riley. Uh, we will take you with us. You, you will give nurse Leatherland a cup of tea, will you, nurse? I should be delighted.
1: Oh, no, I couldn't think of such a thing.
14: You, nurse, will do as you are told. Besides, it will be of great advantage to me. There is a good deal more we have to discuss, and I cannot do it where we must preserve the decencies. Ah, the good Dr. Leitner worshipped his wife, and he is sure, oh, so sure, that everyone must have felt the same about her. What we need is to
5: discuss Mrs. Leitner with the gloves removed. Don't stint yourself over the scones, nurse. They're excellent, and not just by Hassania standards.
1: Mm, they're really very good.
5: So, who are the most likely candidates for the Bosner brothers, do you think? Lavigny or Macardo, Emmett or Writer? Ah, uh, no, 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 doctor. I want to set aside the
14: question of the Bosners for the moment. I want to concentrate on which members of the expedition had the means and opportunity to kill Mrs. Leidner. And who is most
5: likely to have done so? But I thought you didn't go much on that
14: theory. Ah, you must credit me with some delicacy, mon ami. Could I discuss in the presence of Dr. Leidner the motives which various members of the expedition might have for murdering his wife?
5: But now we can be as brutal as we like and tell all the gossip, huh? (laughs) We shall be able, I hope, to get a clearer idea
14: of the possible motives of those involved. Now, nurse... Please, can you tell me exactly what each member of the expedition felt towards Mrs. Leidner?
1: I was only there a few days, Mr. Poirot.
14: Quite long enough for one of your intelligence. A nurse sums up quickly. She makes her judgments and abides by them. Come, let us make a beginning. Father you, for instance.
1: Well, I really couldn't say. He and Mrs. Leidner seemed to like talking together, but they usually spoke French and I'm not very good at French myself. I've an idea. They talk mainly about books.
5: But they were companionable enough, the Holy Father and the femme fatale. <laughs>
1: yes, and they got on all right. But all the same, I think Father Lavigne was puzzled by
5: her. Well, the man was a priest after all. Pray continue, my Thank you.
1: He said that she could be absolutely ruthless, like stone or marble, was the way he put it. But he couldn't understand what it was she was afraid of.
14: Ah, now, that is very interesting. And she, what do you think she thought of him?
1: Mm, that's rather difficult to say, too. wasn't easy to know what Mrs. Leidner thought of people. Sometimes I fancy he puzzled her. I remember her saying to Dr. Leidner that he was unlike any priest she had ever...
5: Known. A length of hemp to be ordered for Father Lavigny. <laughs> oh, my dear
14: friend, have you not perhaps some patients to attend? Very. I would not for the world keep you from
5: your professional duties. Oh, I have a whole hospital full of them. <coughs> uh, a wink oh. is as good as a nod to a blind horse. I'll see you later. Ha, ah, ah, ha, that is better. It will be easier,
14: tête-à-tête. More tea? Thank you. Who was there, in your opinion, who did not like Mrs. Leidner?
1: I wouldn't want this repeated. Oh, no,
14: no, of course not.
1: But Mrs. Macardo fairly hated her.
14: Ah, and Mr. Mercado? Oh, he
1: was a bit soft on her. I shouldn't think women, apart from his wife, had ever taken much notice of him. Mrs. Leidner had a way of being interested in people and the things they told her rather went to the poor man's head
14: and mrs mercado she was not pleased she was just plain jealous that's the truth of it
1: i've seen her look as though she'd have liked to kill her oh gracious i didn't mean it i was oh, no, just no no no, no, no no no
14: i quite understand the phrase leaped out <laughs> and mrs leidner was she worried about this uh, animosity of mrs mercados
1: i don't really think she was worried at all
14: mm. what about the other members of
1: the expedition <laughs> I don't think Miss Johnson liked Mrs. Leidner very much either, but she was quite open and above board about it. She as good as admitted she was prejudiced. You see, she's very devoted to Dr. Leidner and had worked with him for years. And, of course, marriage does change things. There's no denying
14: it. Yes, and from Miss Johnson's point of view, it would be an unsuitable marriage. It would really have been better if Dr. Leidner had married her.
1: It would, really. But there, that's a man all over.
14: Mm -hmm. I've an
1: idea that Mr. Carey was jealous in just the same way. He was always very reserved with Mrs. Lydner and so was she with him. He was an old friend of her husband's, of course, and some women can't stand their husbands' old friends. And the young men? Coleman said that she was like a... a thingamajig that comes to lure people into marshes. It's true. There was something unearthly about her. And Mr. (laughs) Emmert? He's so quiet and never says much. She was very nice to him always. She used to tease him a bit about Miss Riley. And what about
14: Mr. Ryder?
1: I've seen her be quite nasty to him. I think he got on her nerves. She could be very sarcastic when she wanted to.
14: Ah, Miss Riley. Hello. You have had a good game of tennis? Oh,
6: so-so. How's our local mystery coming along?
14: Not very fast, mademoiselle.
6: I see you've rescued Nurse Leatheran from the wreck.
14: She has been giving me valuable information about the members of the expedition. And I am learning a good deal about the victim. And the victim is often the clue to the mystery. Oh,
6: that's rather clever of you. It's certainly true that if ever a woman deserved to be murdered, Mrs. Leidner was that woman. Miss Riley! <laughs> Nurse Letheran, I'm afraid, was quite taken in by her, like many other people. Do you know, Monsieur Poirot, I rather hope that this case isn't going to be one of your successes. I'd quite like the killer of Mrs. Leidner to get away with it. In fact, I wouldn't have objected to putting her out of the way myself.
14: In that case, I hope you have an alibi for yesterday afternoon, mademoiselle.
6: (laughs) Oh, yes. I was playing tennis at the club. But seriously, Monsieur Poirot, I wonder if you know anything at all about Mrs. Leidner and the kind of woman she was.
14: You shall inform me, mademoiselle.
6: There's a convention. One doesn't speak ill of the dead. That's stupid, I think. It's the living who need protecting. Has Nurse Leatheran told you of the queer atmosphere there was at Tel Yaremia? How they all used to glare at one another like enemies? That was Louise Leidner's doing. She wanted to break things up always, just for fun or for the sense of power it gave her. And she was the kind of woman who had to get hold of
1: every male
6: within reach.
1: Miss Riley, that isn't true. I know it isn't.
6: Uh, it wasn't enough for her to have Leidner worship her. She made that stumbling idiot Macardo her slave. She tied Bill Coleman up in knots and she made poor Carl Reiter's life hell on earth. And she had a jolly good go at David. Mr Emmott. Yes. David was better sport to her, because he put up a fight. Andy had sense enough to know that she didn't really care a damn. And that's why I hate her so. She wasn't a sensual woman. She didn't want affairs. It was all a cold-blooded experiment on her part. She was a kind of female Iago. She must have drama. But she didn't want to be involved herself. Well, do you see at all what I mean?
14: I see perhaps more than you know, mademoiselle. Pray continue
6: what have you told him about her and carrie
1: well i mentioned
14: that they didn't hit it off very well
6: <laughs> you fool he was head over heels in love with her and it was tearing him to pieces because he worshipped leidner too she made it her business to come between them but all the same i fancied
14: what have you fancied mademoiselle
6: but this time she'd gone too far, that for once in her life she felt something like
1: passion. But that's scandalous. They hardly ever saw one another.
6: Oh, a hell of a lot you know about it. It was Mr Carey and Mrs Lyden in the house, but they used to meet outside. She'd walk down the path to the river, and he'd leave the dig for an hour or so. They used to meet among the fruit trees. <sighs> I saw him once just as he was leaving her striding back to the dig and she was standing looking after him I took a look at her face through my field glasses if you ask me I believe she cared like hell for Richard Carey
14: that is most illuminating
6: (laughs) excuse me butting in on your case (laughs) I just thought I should put you right about the local colour Hmm.
14: I don't believe a word of it perhaps not Yet when she spoke of Carrie and Mrs. Leidner walking together by the river, I saw a look of doubt come into your eyes, did I not?
5: You'll be happy to hear that I just killed off the most troublesome of my patients. <laughs> I trust I gave it time enough. Making any progress?
14: Of a kind. We have been discussing the victim. Tell me, quite frankly,
5: doctor, what was your opinion of Mrs. Leidner? Frankly, it's hard to say. Charming, intelligent, not particularly vain. She was, I've always thought, though I've got no proof of it, a most accomplished liar. But whether she lied to herself as well as other people, I don't know. I don't think she really was a man-hunter. She just liked the sport of bringing them down with her bow and arrow. If you get my daughter on the subject... We have you? just
14: had that pleasure.
5: Ah, I saw her as I came in. I didn't realize she'd been with you. She hasn't wasted much time. The younger generation has no sentiment toward the dead. It's a pity all young people are such prigs. They condemn the old morality and then proceed to set up a much narrower code of their own. I wish Sheila was honest enough to admit that she hated Mrs. Leidner for good old-fashioned personal reasons. jealousy perhaps? Just so. Sheila's about the only young girl in this place, and she naturally assumes that she ought to have it all her own way with the young things in trousers. Naturally, it annoys her when a woman who, in her view, is middle-aged and already had two husbands to her credit, comes along and licks her on her own ground. But Louise Leidner was no ordinary woman. She certainly was not. She'd got that sort of calamitous magic that plays the devil with things, a kind of belle dame sans merci. That's funny. What is?
1: That you should say that. It was the very phrase that came into my mind not long after I met her
5: did it now. how very strange. I'd better go and give directions for dinner. you should have something before you go back to tell Yaramilla nurse. thank you. tell me
14: you are not afraid to go back there tonight?
1: oh no. I remember what you said about murder being a habit but I can't see how anyone would want to murder me.
14: I know you will be vigilant but I only hope you are right.
1: It was night by the time I got back to tell Yaremia. I can't explain why, but I got the feeling that something was wrong. There weren't any lights showing in the living room. A lamp was still on in the drawing office, but all the other windows were dark. As I passed the drawing office to go to my room, I looked in. Mr. Carey was in his shirt sleeves, working over his big plan of the excavation. Terribly ill he looked, I thought. So strained and worn, as if something were gnawing away inside him and wouldn't let him rest.
9: What's that? Who is it?
1: It's only me, Mr Carey.
9: Oh, nurse. You're back from Hassania.
1: You're working late. I saw the light burning. Everyone else seems to have gone to bed.
9: I thought I might as well get on with things. We're starting digging again tomorrow.
1: Isn't it a bit soon?
9: It's the best thing, I think. I discussed it with Leidner, and he seemed to think it was a good idea. He'll be in Hassania tomorrow, seeing to all the dreadful details. But the rest of us will carry on here. You know, it's not easy just sitting around and looking at each other all the time.
1: Yes, I'm sure you're right. It helps to take your mind off it if you've got something to do. When's the funeral? Do you know?
9: The day after tomorrow.
1: You look just about all in. If you'd like a sleeping... I'll job.
9: carry on, Nurse. Habit-forming things, sleeping draughts. Well,
1: good night, then. If there's anything I can do...
9: Don't think so. Thank you, nurse. Good night.
1: I'm so terribly sorry, Mr. Carey. Sorry? For everyone, it's all so dreadful. But especially for you.
9: For me? Why for me?
1: Well, you were such an old friend of them both.
9: I'm an old friend of Leidener's. I wasn't a friend of hers, particularly.
7: Well,
1: good night, Mr Carey.
7: <laughs>
1: That's Miss Johnson, surely. What's she doing in Leiden's office at this time of night? Whatever is it, my dear? No, no this won't do at all. <laughs> it's too terrible. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Don't, my dear, don't. Take a hold of yourself. I'll go make you a cup of nice hot tea. No, no. It's all right, nurse. I'm being a fool. What's upset you, Miss Johnson? It's all too awful. Now stop thinking about it. What's happened has happened and can't be mended. I'm just being silly and stupid. I've been
3: trying to tidy up Dr. Leidner's office and... I thought it was best to do something, and then it all came over me suddenly.
1: What you need is to go to bed with a hot water bottle. You're exhausted. Come along. I'll be quite all right, nurse. I'm the best judge of that, Miss Johnson. Come on now.
3: You're a nice, kind, sensible woman, Miss Leatheran. Thank you. You're sure you'll be warm enough now? Uh, quite sure, thank you. It's not often I lose control of myself like that. Oh, anybody's liable to do that at a time like this. What you said is true. What's happened has happened and can't be mended.
1: She was never a nice woman. Now you go to sleep and don't worry about anything. I'll just set the room to rights and tidy up your things.
3: Thank you, nurse. That would be kind. But don't bother yourself too much. I'll put these on this hanger, shall I? Oh, that's right. This paper must have fallen out of your pocket. Give it to me. Give it to me at once. Why, yes, of course. Oh, careful. You don't want to set the place on fire. I know what I'm doing. Thank you, Nurse Levin.
1: You've been very kind. Good night now. Oh, good night, Miss Johnson. I didn't have much time to see the letter before she burned it. But I saw enough to know that the handwriting was the same as that on the anonymous letters. Was that why she was crying? Remorse over writing those letters? But if she did write them, Does that mean it was she who murdered Mrs. Leidner?
14: How fortunate that I find you alone.
1: I'm glad you're here. There's something I have to tell later, you.
14: Later, later. You still have the key of Mrs. Leiter's room.
1: Yes, I have. But... Go
14: there now. Shut the door behind you and give a cry, not a scream, a cry. You understand what I mean? It is alarm or surprise that I wish you to express, not mad terror. As for the excuse, if you are heard, I leave that to you. And where will you be? I shall be in the living room talking to Miss Johnson.
11: But that's go what now I... quickly.
3: We were jealous, I admit it. We resented the demands Mrs. Leidner made on his time and his attention.
14: I don't think she ever really
3: appreciated what a remarkable man she'd married.
14: What is your opinion of these anonymous letters she received?
3: I think someone in America had a spite against her and was trying to frighten her. No more than that? She was a very handsome woman and might easily have had enemies. I think these letters were written by some spiteful woman.
14: It is possible. But the last of them came by hand, I remember.
3: Well, I suppose that could have been managed if anyone had given their mind to it. Women will take a lot of trouble to gratify their spite.
14: Uh, by the way, do you know Miss Riley?
3: Sheila, yes, of course.
14: Now, I have heard a rumour that there was a tendresse between her and one of the members of Dr. Ladner's staff. Is that so, do you know? Oh, young
3: Coleman and David Emmett were both inclined to dance attendance on her. After all, she's the only young creature round the place. But I don't know that there was anything in it on her side. She never came out here to see them? Oh, yes. She was out here a good deal. I saw her riding towards the dig on that awful afternoon. But neither David Emmett nor Bill Coleman was on duty then. Carrie was the only one who was out there. But does this have any bearing on the crime, Monsieur Poirot? Ah,
14: oh, you make me blush, mademoiselle. You expose me as a mere gossip. But I am interested always in the love affairs of young people.
1: Oh! <laughs> I hope I'm not interrupting.
14: Not in the least. Uh, tell me, Miss Johnson, are there any other members of the expedition staff in the house?
3: Mrs. Micardo is somewhere about. All the men are up at the dig today.
14: I think they wanted to get out of the house.
3: I don't blame them. I'm sure Nurse Leatheran won't mind taking you out there. I'd love to. But you'll be back here for lunch, won't you, Monsieur Poirot?
14: Enchanté, mademoiselle.
1: Mm. I'll go back to my cataloguing, then.
14: I did what you told me.
1: Did you hear anything not a sound do you want to see mrs mccardo
14: it would be as well i think
1: she's on the roof i'll take you up there
10: dear dear louise she was so sweet to us all wasn't she nurse i mean she knew nothing about archaeology and she was so eager to learn always asking my husband about the chemical processes for treating the metal objects and helping miss johnson to mend pottery Oh, we were all devoted to her.
14: That is not what I have heard. I understood that there was a certain tenseness, an uncomfortable atmosphere here.
10: But who could have told you such a thing?
14: Did you, Nurse Leverett? I have my spies, madame.
10: Don't you think that after an event of this kind, everyone always pretends a lot of things that never were? You know... Tension, atmosphere, and the feeling that something was going to happen. Mm,
14: There is a lot in what you say, madame. But I must be on my way. We are going to take a little look at uh, the dig.
10: We were a thoroughly happy family here. Anyone will tell you.
14: I am very relieved to hear it, madame.
1: That woman is one of the most barefaced liars I've ever known.
14: She is hardly the type one would go to for the truth. Waste of time talking to her. Oh, no, 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 no. If a person tells you lies with her lips, she is sometimes telling the truth with her eyes. What is she afraid of, Mary Mercado? I saw fear in her eyes. Mr. Poirot,
1: there's something I have to tell you about Miss Johnson. Yes, nurse? It happened last night, after I got back to tell Yarimia. She was in Dr. Leidner's office, and she was sobbing her
14: heart out. This is most interesting. For when I talked to her this morning, she let out the fact that she knew all about the letters. So far, they have not been spoken of in the presence of the staff. Of course, it is quite possible that Dr. Leidner told her about them, but if he did not, well... Then it is curious and interesting, is it not?
1: Are you going to tackle her about the letters? Oh, no,
14: no, 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 no. Always it is unwise to parade one's knowledge. Until the last moments, I keep everything here in my head, in the little grey cells. At the right moment, I make the spring, like the panther, and mon dieu the consternation.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, hold it upright like that. Uh, good.
14: There's Mr. Reiter. The expedition's photographer. Mm. Mm. What was it that Mademoiselle Riley said? That Mrs. Leidner amused herself by tormenting him.
1: Surely you're not going to be influenced by anything that girl says.
14: Nevertheless, nurse, it would be interesting to know what he thought of Mrs. Leidner. Our belle dame sans merci.
7: I don't see how I can be of any real help to you. Uh, this is my first year at Tell Yeremia, and I spoke very little with Mrs. Leitner. You can at least tell us whether you liked or disliked her. She was a charming woman, very elegant, uh, and she had a fine mind. So you liked her. But did she like you? Uh, I don't know that she noticed me very much. <laughs> I-, I was always unlucky when I tried to do anything for her. I'm afraid I annoyed her by my clumsiness. I, I wanted so much to please her, but... Well, Tell me, was it a happy atmosphere in the house? No, not exactly that. There was a little stiffness. But uh, there, then I am not very good in company. I am awkward. I cannot overcome my shyness. I, I say always the wrong thing. I upset water jugs. <laughs> we all do these things when we are young. <laughs> The poise,
14: the savoir faire. It comes later.
7: (laughs) Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, monsieur.
14: That is either an extraordinarily simple young man or a very remarkable actor. So, where do we go next?
1: Over there is what they call the deep cut. They never seem to find much there except bits of broken pottery, but Dr. Leiden always says it's most important,
14: so I suppose it must be. Hmm. Well, let us see who we can find there. It looks as though Mr. Mercado is in charge. Uh, how do we get there? By that narrow path.
1: <laughs> You're surely not going down there in those
14: shoes. Which is of no consequence. <clears throat> Nurse, is Mr. Mercado right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. Thank you.
11: I didn't realize you were interested in archaeology, Monsieur Poirot. This is the heart of the whole operation here. Already we have cut through 12 levels of house occupation. We have now reached the fourth millennium. Fascinating, Monsieur Mercado. At each level, the pottery undergoes a change of character. Sometimes quite subtle, but always unmistakable. Take the shape of this beaker, for example. Oh, what on earth uh, is the matter? Something stung me,
14: like a red hot needle. Mm, we must find uh, out what it is. Um, roll back his sleeve, nurse, uh, quickly. Mm. It's a tiny puncher, not much bigger than a pinprick. Curious.
11: An ant, perhaps?
1: Here. I'd better put on a little iodine, nevertheless.
11: Thank you, nurse. One can never be too careful, particularly out here. Now, Monsieur Poirot, here is something you really must see. A level composed almost entirely of infant burials.
14: It was neat, that. Did you not think so? Neat? The stinging insect. It was this needle. Even you did not see it.
1: But why, Mr. Poirot?
14: Did you not notice anything about Mercado's arm? I certainly did. It was marked all over by hypodermic needles. Mm -hmm. So, now we know something about Mercado which otherwise we would not have realized. I suspected, but I had to make sure. So where do you want to go now? Ah, Oh, alas, I must have dropped my handkerchief somewhere down in the deep cut. I used it to hide the needle. Um, could you be so very kind as to find it for me? Of course. And in the meantime, I shall go and talk to Mr. Carey. I think I see him over there.
9: I'm afraid I'm hardly the right person to help you. To be perfectly honest, Mrs. Leiden and I didn't hit it off very well. Mrs. Leidner was perhaps rather jealous of my friendship with her husband. I admired her and thought she was a very attractive woman, but I was just a shade resentful of her influence over Leidner. We were polite to one another, but no more than that. Very admirably put. But uh, was
14: not Dr. Leidner distressed that you and his wife did not get on better?
9: If he was, he never said anything. I always hoped he didn't notice. He was very wrapped up in his work, you know. So,
14: the truth according to you, is that you really did not like Mrs. Leidner.
9: (laughs) I should probably have liked her very much if she hadn't been Leidner's wife. Hmm. I talked to Miss Johnson this morning. She admitted that she was
14: prejudiced against Mrs. Leidner, and she did not like her very much, although she hastened to add that Mrs. Leidner had always been charming to her. All quite true, I should say. So I believed. Then I had a conversation with Mrs. Mercado... She told me how devoted she had been to Mrs. Leidner... and how much she had admired her. That I did
9: not believe.
14: Then I come to you, and that which you tell me...
9: again, I do not believe. I don't care what you believe or what you don't believe. You've heard the truth, and you can take it or leave it as far as I'm concerned. The truth...
14: Sometimes truth can be very difficult to disentangle from rumors and stories. (laughs) And there are plenty of those floating in the air. What sort of stories? Oh, I'm sure you can guess. The usual sort. About you and Mrs. Leitner. And you believe them. I am willing to be convinced of the truth. I doubt if you'd know the
9: truth if you heard it. Try me and see. I will then. This is the truth. I hated Louise Leitner. I hated her like hell.
14: I I, I do not come around the corner for a moment, nurse, in case Mr. Carey turns his head. Now it is all right.
1: I didn't want to interrupt. How did you know I was there?
14: I simply knew. Do you have my handkerchief? Ah, thank you.
1: Do you think he did hate her, Mr. Poirot?
14: Yes, I think he did. But now let us go and have a word with Mr. Emmott. He is working on top of the mound.
1: What on earth are you doing, Mr. Emmett? Trying
12: to blow some of the dust out of her skull. You'll get all sorts of nasty germs in your mouth. Germs can't do anything to an archaeologist, nurse. Who is this lady you have discovered? Uh, She's from the first millennium. A person of some consequence, perhaps, to judge by her jewellery. The skull looks rather
14: odd, though. It suggests death by foul play. A Mrs. Leidner of 2,000 years ago? Perhaps... Are you getting anywhere with your investigation, Monsieur Poirot? The hub of the case is Mrs. Leidner. I must know what sort of woman she was. Can you help me?
13: There was a
12: fairy story I used to read when I was a kid about the Snow Queen and Little Kay. I guess Mrs. Leidner was rather like that, always taking Little Kay for a ride.
14: Ah, yes. Hans Anderson, is it not? But can you go a little further than that, Mr. Emmert? She always had to be at the center of things, and she liked to get at other people.
12: I mean, she wasn't satisfied with being past the toast and peanut butter. She wanted you to turn your
14: soul inside out for her to look at it. And if one did not give her that satisfaction... Then she could turn ugly. I suppose, Mr. Emmott, you would not care to express an entirely unofficial opinion as to who murdered her? I haven't the faintest idea.
12: But if I'd been Carl Ryder, I'd have been tempted to have a shot at her. My you, he asked for it by being so damned sensitive.
14: But you don't really believe that he killed her? No. I don't believe you'd kill a woman because she made you look a damn fool at every meal. Ah, which reminds me that I promised Miss Johnson I would be back at the house for lunch. Thank you, Mr. Emmott. You have been most helpful.
1: Did Monsieur Poirot have a profitable morning out at the dig? It's difficult to tell, really. He seemed very interested in everything that was going on. And where is he now with Father Lavigny. I hope they won't be long. Lunch is nearly ready. Oh, what
3: was that? What's going on? My dear, what is the matter with you? It's some noise outside in the field. It sounded much closer, as if it came from inside the house, like the time
14: when... Uh, uh, did you hear the noise, Monsieur Parrault? Oh, a thousand pardons, mademoiselle. The fault is
8: entirely mine. It was a most
14: peculiar accident. The good father was explaining to me some tablets, and I take one to the open window to see better, and ma foi, not looking where I was going, I stub the toe, and the pain is so sharp that I cry out. We thought it was another murder. Marie! Did Father Lavigny show you all the
1: treasures?
8: I drew Monsieur Poirot's attention to one or two things. In particular, a most beautiful gold cup.
1: No wax on it today.
8: Wax? What do you mean by that?
1: When Mrs. Leidner showed it to me some days ago, there were drops of wax on it, as if someone had been looking at it by candlelight.
14: (laughs) Ah, now I understand. Uh, Candle grease. I
1: think it's time we went into luncheon.
14: And afterwards, Mademoiselle, if you would be so kind, I would like to see something of your own work Here. I am fast becoming a keen student of archaeology.
3: This is an impression we took from a cylinder seal. It's the figure of a water god. His shrine is surrounded by wavy lines which represent water, and there are streams flowing from his waist.
14: Fascinating. How do you make the impressions? With plasticine. You use a great deal of it?
3: A fair amount. We seem to have got through a lot already this year, though I can't imagine how.
14: And where is it kept, mademoiselle?
3: Uh, it's kept in this cupboard here.
14: Mm-hmm.
3: There you are. Stationery supplies, photographic paste, durofix, plaster seam.
14: Yeah, ah, there is something at the back of the shelf. What is this, mademoiselle? Oh, it's a
3: mask. A nasty, horrid mask. But I've never seen it before. How did it get there?
14: What is it? As to how it got there, well, one hiding place is as good as another, and I presume that this cupboard would not have been turned out until the end of the season. As to what it is, that too is not difficult to say. We have here the face that Mrs. Leidner described, the ghostly face seen in the semi-dusk outside her window. Then it
3: was not a
14: fancy.
3: It was a trick. But who played it?
14: I must take this to the police in Hassania.
3: Dr. Leiden has come back. Don't we let him see it. It would only distress him
14: further. I agree. The good doctor has troubles enough. This is not the time.
4: The funeral will be at 11 o'clock tomorrow in Hassania. Will you come, Anne?
3: Of course, my dear. We'll all come, naturally.
4: Dear Anne, you're such a wonderful comfort and help to me. I'm sorry, Monsieur Poirot, I am quite neglecting you. Are you making any progress?
14: Things march slowly,
4: Doctor. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must return to
14: Hassania. Of course, of course. But I must have a word with Nurse Leatheron before I depart. Take care of yourself, my child. I wonder if it is well for you to remain here.
1: I must speak to Dr. Leidner about leaving. I can't very well stay on any longer. But I thought I'd better wait until after the funeral before asking him.
14: That would be most considerate. But in the meantime, do not try to find out too much. I do not want you to be clever. It is for you to hold the swabs, and for me to do the operation. Do you understand?
1: The funeral is over. I was more moved by it than I'd expected. I have arranged with Dr. Leidner to leave tomorrow, and spend a few days in Hassania. He really was very kind, and insisted on giving me an extra week's salary.
4: It is the very least I can do to express my gratitude.
1: I don't feel I deserve it. My coming didn't save her. I failed.
4: But you were never expected to save her. After all, I didn't engage you as a female detective. I never dreamed my wife's life was in danger. I was convinced it was all nerves, and that she had worked herself up into a rather curious mental state. You did all that anyone could do. She liked and trusted you. There's nothing for you to reproach yourself with.
1: Dr. Leidner, have you come to any conclusion about the anonymous letters?
4: I don't know what to believe. Has Monsieur Poirot come up with any suggestions?
1: He hadn't yesterday.
4: Have you yourself had any thoughts?
1: Anonymous letters are usually the work of a woman.
4: I suppose they are. But you seem to forget that these may be genuine. They may actually have been written by Frederick Bosner.
1: I haven't forgotten, but I can't believe somehow that that's the real explanation.
4: I do, but it's all nonsense, his being one of the expedition staff. I believe that the truth is much simpler. The man is a madman, of course. Somehow or other he got into the place on that fatal afternoon. The serpents may be lying. They could have been bribed. I suppose it's possible. It's all very well for Poirot to suspect the members of my expedition. I am perfectly certain none of them had anything to do with it. I have worked with them. I know them. But is it your experience, Nurse, that anonymous letters are usually written by women?
1: It isn't always the case. But there's a certain type of feminine spitefulness that finds relief that way.
4: I suppose you are thinking of Mrs. Macardo. Even if she were malicious enough to wish to hurt Louise... She would scarcely have had the necessary knowledge.
1: And apart from her, there is only Miss Johnson.
4: Oh that would be quite ridiculous. Anyway, nurse, I must get back to my work. I shall see you again before you go. And thank you for all you've done. I mean that most sincerely.
8: I'm sorry to hear that you are leaving us, nurse.
1: There really isn't anything to keep me here any longer.
8: You have been such a help to everyone with your cheerfulness and common sense. It was greatly needed. Thank you, father. There is no sign of Monsieur Poirot today? He
1: told me he was going to spend the day in Hassanea, sending off telegrams.
8: Telegrams?
1: To where? All over the world, he said, but I think that was just his way of putting things.
8: Has there been any further news of the man with the squint?
1: Not as far as I
8: know. It seems evident to me that the man had some interest in Mrs. Leidner. Do you think he could have been a European? It's possible, I suppose. I think I shall go and take a look at the place where you and Mrs. Leidner first saw him. There is always the possibility that he may have dropped something.
1: I shouldn't think there's much chance of that. After so much time?
8: Who knows? After all, out at the dig, we are continually finding things that people dropped over 2,000 years ago.
1: Since this is my last evening here, I'm going up to the roof to look at the sunset. Miss Johnson. Miss Johnson.
3: Why didn't I see it before?
1: How could I be so blind? Whatever's the matter? What is it? I've just seen something. What have you seen? Tell
3: me. Whatever is it, you look all in. I've seen how someone could have come in from outside and no one would ever guess. I don't
1: understand what you mean. Can't you explain more clearly?
3: Uh, not now. Later. We ought to have seen. Oh, we ought to have seen. If only you'd tell me. I've got to think it out first. I've got to think it out. Miss Johnson. I need to be by myself.
1: What's that noise? What on earth's happening? That's Miss Johnson. <laughs> Miss Johnson, what is it? Something's burned the lips and chin. It looks like acid.
4: <laughs> the window. Yes. The window. What's the matter? What's happened? She
1: seems to have swallowed some sort of corrosive acid. Oh, my God! I'll try some carbonate of soda, but I don't think it'll do much good. Could you send someone off to Hassanier for Dr. Riley?
4: I'll get Emmett to go at once.
1: I'll get some morphine to try and ease the pain. Oh, doctor! Yes, nurse? I think we'd better get Mr. Poirot to come over as well, as soon as possible.
14: There, nurse. Drink your tea. You did everything that anyone could possibly have done you are worn out
1: it's too awful it's been like a nightmare such terrible suffering and her eyes oh mr poirot her eyes
14: yes 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 you must try to put it out of your mind
1: do they know what it was that she
14: drank it was a strong solution of hydrochloric acid
1: oh the stuff they used to clean the pots
14: yes miss johnson probably drank it before she was fully awake That is, unless she did it on purpose. Oh, Mr Poirot, surely no one would kill themselves like that. It is a possibility, after all. I don't believe
1: it for a moment. I think she found out something yesterday afternoon.
14: Oh, and what was that?
1: She was up on the roof, just standing there, as if she were in a trance. I asked her what was the matter, and she said, I've seen how someone could come in from outside and no one ever know. And that was all? She wouldn't say any more. I've got to think it over, was all she would say. And she went back down the stairs
14: she wanted to think it over that is what signed her death warrant if she had only spoken not then at once come nurse it is light now you shall show me just where she was standing
1: she was standing just here and she turned and looked over there towards the northeast
14: like uh, this Hmm. now what do i see i see half the courtyard and the archway and the doors of the drawing office, and the photographic room, and the laboratory. Was there anyone in the courtyard?
1: Father Lavigny was going towards the archway, and Mr. Reiter was standing at the door of the photographic room.
14: And still I do not see how anyone could have come in from outside, and no one know about it. But she saw. What did she see? ah what a beautiful sunrise
1: she said something else when I found her last night she just managed to get out the words the window nurse the window
14: the window ah fool that I have been when the truth is so clear so clear Monsieur Poirot
12: I've been looking for you everywhere it's father Lavigny his bed's not been slept in and there's no sign of him He's completely disappeared!
13: So, you don't think, nurse, that Miss Johnson deliberately administered this stuff to herself?
1: Certainly not. Who on earth would choose to commit suicide in such a terribly painful way?
13: Quite right. There are easier ways to kill yourself than pouring acid down your throat. Uh, I agree that it isn't what one would choose. But if anyone were in great distress of mind, and this stuff were easily obtainable, it might be taken for that reason. Captain Maitland, what makes you think she was in great distress of mind? Mrs. Mercado says she was quite distraught at dinner last night, and hardly replied to anything that was said to her. Well, I don't believe it for a moment. I think she was murdered. And there's something else, something that none of you knows about. It might be of some interest to you, Monsieur Poirot. We found this in a cupboard in Miss Johnson's room. As you can see, the stone is stained with blood and there are threads of hair clinging to it. Oh, God. Take a look at it, Riley. I'd say there's not much doubt about this being the instrument with which Mrs. Leidner was killed. Mm. But why hide it in
1: such an obvious place? It
13: wasn't there to begin with every room was searched after mrs leidner's death as to where it came from it's a grinder um, a quern i think they call them
5: there's a dozen or more of them up on the roof uh, it's the murder weapon all right i don't think there's any doubt that this is mrs leidner's hair uh,
13: i don't believe it i simply don't believe it uh, i don't know what to believe there's the french father's disappearance to be cleared up too my men are out hunting around in case he's been knocked on the head and Chucked into an irrigation
14: ditch. At a guess, Father Lavigny has already passed the Syrian frontier. Mm, then we'd better telegraph Deir Rezor. I did so yesterday, warning them to look out for a car with two men in it whose passports will be in the most impeccable
13: order. Mm, you did, did you? Strikes me, Monsieur Poirot, that you've been keeping quite a lot of things up your sleeve. No, no, not really. The truth came to me only this morning
14: when I was watching the sunrise. A very beautiful sunrise.
10: All the time, he's mad. He thinks women are sinful. He's killing them all. First Mrs. Lightner, then Missus.
13: For God's sake, control yourself, woman! I won't
10: stay here a moment longer. I'm going to be the next one. He's going to kill me.
6: Quick, slap across the face
5: if you please, Nurse. Now nobody's going to kill you. Now sit down and behave yourself, woman.
6: Hello? What on earth's going
5: on? Nothing you need concern yourself about, Sheila. Oh,
6: all right, if you say so. I had to go to the post office first thing this morning. There was a telegram for you, Monsieur Poirot, so I brought it along.
14: Oh, thank you, mademoiselle.
10: Is that from America?
14: No, madame. It is from Tunis.
10: Father Lavigny, I was right.
14: Do you consider
13: you've definitely got the hang of this business, Poirot?
14: I believe so, Captain well, we Major. with it, madame. Would you be so kind as to summon all the other members of the expedition, Dr. Heidi? Yes? Perhaps the dining room would be the best place. Oh, the big showdown, eh? <laughs> I'll go and get them. <laughs> and Mademoiselle Heidi, it is necessary for you to be there too.
6: Necessary?
14: That is the word I used, Mademoiselle.
6: Very well. No, I can't see what any of it has to do with me.
14: As we gathered
1: together in the dining room, I felt as if I was seeing everyone for the first time, and for the last Mr. Mercado was twisting his fingers nervously. His wife was staring at him intently like a tigress waiting to spring. Dr. Leidner looked overwhelmed and crushed by it all. The death of Miss Johnson must have come as a terrible blow to him. Mr. Coleman was looking straight at Poirot. For the first time he didn't have that idiotic grin on his face. Emmet was looking down at his feet. Writer looked simply bewildered. Miss Riley was looking steadily out of the window, as if she wasn't really there. And then I turned to Mr. Carey. He looked so hurt and desperate that I didn't want to meet his eye. I knew that when Mr. Poirot had finished, one of the people in the room would be named as the murderer.
14: In the name of Allah, the Merciful, the Compassionate. That is the phrase the Arabs use before setting out on a journey. Eh bien, we too start on a journey. A journey into the strange places of the human soul. And I may say that though I have now arrived at what I believe to be the true solution of the case, I have no material proof of it. (laughs) I know it is so, because it must be so, because in no other way can every single fact fit into its ordered and recognized place. To my mind, the whole pattern of the case revolved round the personality of Mrs. Leidner. Until I knew exactly what kind of a woman Mrs. Leidner was, I should not be able to know why she was murdered and who murdered her.
6: I should have thought it was obvious from the start what kind of woman she was.
14: To you, mademoiselle Riley, but not to everyone. I began to see her as one of those women who are endowed by nature not only with beauty, but with a kind of calamitous magic which sometimes accompanies beauty. The same phrase occurred independently both to Dr Riley and to Nurse Leveron. La belle dame,
5: sans merci.
14: More than one of you have commented on Mrs Leiden's need to create drama. Mademoiselle Riley called her a female Iago.
6: Well, so she
12: was.
14: Which brings me to the matter of the anonymous letters. Were they written by Mrs. Leidner herself to satisfy this craving? Or were they written, as she herself claimed, by her supposedly dead husband, Frederick Bosner, or by his younger brother? And if this was so, was Bosner, or his brother, a member of the expedition in disguise?
4: That's impossible, quite
14: out of the question. Or were they written by a third person who knew about Mrs. Leidner's past and wanted to frighten her? I decided to keep an open mind on the subject and to concentrate on Mrs. Leidner's entourage. Which of them had the means and the opportunity to commit the murder? On the face of it, anyone might have killed Mrs. Leidner as far as opportunity went, with the exception of three persons... Dr. Leidner, by overwhelming testimony, had never left the roof. Mr. Carey was out at the mound. Mr. Coleman was in Hassania.
2: Quite correct.
14: Four marks. But two of those alibis, my friends, were not as good as they looked. Was it quite certain that Mr. Carey was out at the dig all the time? And had Mr. Coleman actually been in Hassania at the time the murder took place?
2: What's that supposed to mean?
14: I also considered one other person who, I satisfied myself, would be perfectly capable of committing murder. Miss Riley has courage and brains and a certain quality of ruthlessness. Oh,
6: oh, come on! Just because I didn't conceal my feelings... When I
14: said to you jokingly that I hoped you had an alibi, you told me a silly and pointless lie. I learned from Miss Johnson that far from playing tennis, as she had said, Miss Riley had actually been only a little way outside this house at the time of the murder.
6: That doesn't mean I killed
14: her. No, perhaps not. But will you tell me what you did that afternoon?
6: I rode out to the dig after lunch. It must have been about a quarter to two when I got there.
14: Did you find any of your friends at the dig?
6: There seemed to be no one but the Arab foreman.
14: You did not see Mr. Carey? No have you any explanation mr. Carey? I went for a walk. there was nothing of interest turning up on the mound. in which direction did you walk? down by the river. not back towards the house? nope.
6: I suppose you were waiting for someone who didn't
14: come. did you see anything else mademoiselle?
6: yes. I wasn't far from the house when I noticed the expedition truck drawn up in a waddy. I thought it was rather odd. then I saw mr. Coleman. he was walking along with his head down as though he was searching for something. look here
2: there's a perfectly simple explanation for what I was doing. I admit it must have looked a bit fishy. I suppose it was, rather. You you see, the day before, I'd come across a pretty splendid cylinder seal, and I'd slipped it into my coat pocket instead of putting it in the Antica Room. And then I discovered that the bally thing must have fallen out of my pocket. So I thought I'd better have a jolly good search on the quiet. I got back from Hassanir as quickly as I could, and I parked the bus in a waddy where I thought no one would see it while I hunted for the seal. I couldn't find the damn thing so i drove back to the house and naturally everyone thought i just got back from hazania and you did not undeceive them well that was pretty natural under the circumstances don't you think i hardly agree oh come now don't go looking for trouble that's my motto but you can't fasten anything on me i never went into that courtyard and you won't
14: find anyone who will say i did that of course has been the difficulty all along the servants swore that no one entered the courtyard but What they really meant was that they had seen no stranger. They would scarcely have noticed a member of the expedition. Coleman was expected to return by the station wagon, but they would not have noticed if Mr. Carey had come into the courtyard.
9: Are you accusing me of murder, Monsieur Poirot?
14: As yet, I am only taking you on a journey towards the truth. Let us consider the motives of other members of the expedition. Mrs. Mercado, for instance.
10: But I adore darling Louise. Everyone knows that I loved her. Why should I want to kill her?
14: To protect your husband from exposure, perhaps.
10: I don't know what you're talking about.
14: Mr. Mercado is a chronic drug addict. (laughs) Nurse Leveron and I found out easily enough. Why should not Mrs. Leidner have found out also? It would have suited her peculiar temperament to feel that she knew a secret which she could reveal at any minute with disastrous results. So... There is a possible motive for murder on the part of the Mercado's. And both Mrs. Mercado and her husband had the opportunity during that ten minutes when the courtyard was empty.
10: But that's not true. What are you suggesting? That my husband is a crazy drug addict who goes around killing people? It is
14: possible. There have been many cases of murder committed under the influence of drugs. But there is also the possibility that you could have killed Mrs. Leidner to prevent her revealing the secret of your husband's addiction.
10: But how could I possibly kill her? Do I look like a murderer?
14: I believe, Mrs. Mercado, that to protect your husband, you would stop at nothing.
10: It's not possible. It's just not possible.
14: Then there were the three young men. Of these, the most obvious suspect was Carl Reiter. If by any chance William Bosner was one of the expedition staff then Reiter was the most likely candidate. But he had motive enough for murder on his own account. Undiscriminating adoration brought out the worst in Mrs. Leidner. She made Writer's life hell for him. Could she have goaded him to such a degree that he turned on her and killed her? Next, William Coleman. His behaviour, as reported by Miss Riley, is certainly suspicious. But I've already told you... If he was the criminal, he might have affected his cheerful, rather silly personality to conceal the hidden identity of William Bosner.
5: Oh, I say...
14: But I do not think, Mr Coleman, that you have the temperament of a murderer. Thanks very much. Of the three young men, there remains Mr Emmott he again might be a possible shield for the identity of William Bosner.
6: Oh, that's just plain stupid. Mr. Emmert wouldn't murder anyone.
14: Whatever personal reasons he might have for the removal of Mrs. Leidner, I soon realized that I should have no means of learning them from him. He could keep his own counsel remarkably well. Of all the members of the expedition, as far as character and personality were concerned, Mr. Emott seemed to me the most fitted to commit a clever and well-timed crime. The last two people on my list were Richard Carey and Father Lavigny. Now, according to the testimony of Nurse Leatheron and others, Mr. Carey and Mrs. Leidner barely managed to be civil to one another. But Miss Riley had a totally different theory.
6: It was perfectly obvious that he was madly in love with her. All that chilly politeness was just a cover-up.
14: I soon had little doubt that you were correct. I realized that Mr. Carey was very close to a nervous breakdown. A few words of mine were enough to provoke him into a reckless and unguarded outburst.
9: I said I hated her like hell, and it was true. Every word I said to you was true. But why did you hate her? I can't give you a reason. Ah, but I can, Mr. Carey.
14: You were devoted to Dr. Leidner, and at first you were totally indifferent towards his wife. That did not suit Mrs. Leidner. She set herself out to capture you, and she succeeded, did she not? Yes, she succeeded. There is no hatred so great as that of a man who has been made to love a woman against his will. But then... Something entirely unforeseen took place. Mrs. Leidner was, as you say, hoist with her own petard. For the first time in her life, she fell in love, really in love, with Richard Carey.
6: Isn't that what I told you?
14: All along, I had suspected that the murder of Louise Leidner was a crime passionnel. In Mr. Carey, I had found the ideal protagonist.
9: Even so, I didn't kill her. I may have wanted to often enough, but I didn't kill her. Which leaves me with my last candidate, Father Lavigny.
10: He was a madman! We are lucky he didn't kill us all in our bed!
14: Silence! <sighs> my attention was drawn to the good father straight away by a certain discrepancy between his description of the strange man seen peering in at the windows and that given by Nurse Leveron.
1: He kept on insisting that the man had a squint.
14: It looked almost as though Father Lavigny was deliberately misleading us, as though he did not want the man caught. And then I realized that the mysterious stranger who seemed to be peeping through Mrs. Leiter's room could equally well be looking through the window by the side of it, that of the Antica room.
1: And that night somebody broke into the Antica room. And
14: who did you find there, Hm? Father Lavigny. I began to grow curious about this, Father Lavigny. Could you tell me, Dr. Leitner, how you first made contact with him?
4: He was a well-known epigraphist. When it became clear that Dr. Bird would not be able to come on the expedition, I sent a telegram to the Père Blanc at Carthage.
14: Unfortunately, that telegram was intercepted. Father Lavigny was an imposter. Small wonder that he took so long deciphering the few inscriptions that were found. He was confident that he could bluff his way through. But if he was not Father Lavigny, did that mean that he was Frederick Bosner? He could have been anybody
5: underneath that beard.
14: But then I realised that Father Lavigny's interest lay in a very different direction. It was Nurse Leatherman who gave me the vital clue.
5: When
1: I mentioned seeing the wax on the gold cup.
14: Precisely. At that moment I looked into his eyes and I knew in a flash... I regret to tell you, Dr. Leidner, that the treasures in your antica room are not the genuine articles found by your expedition.
9: What? What are you saying? They are
14: clever electrotypes substituted by the good father and his accomplice, Ali Yusuf, the mysterious stranger seen by Mrs. Leidner and Nurse Leathern. Father Lavigny is none other than Raoul Menier, one of the cleverest art thieves in Europe and well-known to the French police.
4: Oh, but those finds were irreplaceable.
14: The question in my mind was, did Mrs. Leidner discover what he was up to and was that the reason why she
13: was murdered? It seems a very likely explanation of the facts.
14: So it seemed to me, Captain Maitland, until the second murder. It was the death of Miss Johnson which enabled me to solve the mystery. With Nurse Leveron's assistance, I will explain the facts of the second murder. Nurse, would you be so good as to describe what happened on the night you got back from Hasania?
1: There was a light in Dr. Leidner's office. I found Miss Johnson sitting at the desk, weeping her heart out. I put her to bed and started to clear up her things. There was a scrap of paper that must have fallen out of her pocket. The moment I picked it up, she snatched it away from me and burned it.
14: But not before you had noticed something about it? hmm?
1: It was the same writing as on the anonymous letters.
14: Mm. And the following day?
1: I found her all by herself on the roof. She seemed to be in a kind of trance. She said, I've seen how someone could come in from outside and no one would guess.
14: I went up to the roof and stood where she had stood. Did she mean that a stranger had come in from outside and was Father Lavigny the person she met? And then Nurse Leatheron told me what Miss Johnson had said before she died.
1: She said, the window, Nurse, the window.
14: And then I saw what Miss Johnson had seen from the roof. I said just now that three men had alibis for the time of the crime. Two of those alibis I have shown to be worthless. But then I saw my great my amazing mistake the third alibi was worthless too. not only could dr. Leidner have committed the murder but I was convinced that he had committed it
13: But mr. Emmerton stated that dr. Leidner didn't leave the roof until at least a quarter to three yes an hour after the murder was committed but dr.
14: Leidner did not have to leave the roof to murder his wife that is what miss johnson realized the window miss johnson said mrs Lightner's window was directly underneath the roof on the side away from the courtyard and dr leidner was alone up there with no one to witness his actions and with the instrument of murder a heavy stone quern ready to hand once he is certain that Emmott is down in the courtyard, he takes from his pocket the mask, which he has already used to scare his wife, and dangles it over the parapet until it is tapping on his wife's window.
10: Then it was not a fantasy after all.
14: Mrs. Leidner hears the noise and sees the mask. But it is broad daylight, and she realizes the trick that has been played on her. She rushes to the window, opens it, and pushes her head through the bars to see who is playing the trick on her. Dr. Leidner is waiting. He has in his hands, poised and ready, the heavy quern. At the psychological moment he drops it.
1: And she cried out. That was what Miss Johnson said she heard, but the cry could only have been noticed if the window was open.
14: Very good, Nurse. There was, as you have observed Captain Maitland, a hole in the quern through which Dr. Leidner had passed a cord.
13: So all he had to do was to haul it up again. And
14: then he put it down among the others where no one would notice it.
13: So he came down an hour later and pretended to discover his wife's body.
14: But first he must pull the corpse away from the window to beside the bed. He fastens the window. There is blood on the rug by the window. He moves it to the wash basin so that no one will connect it with the window.
1: But the man was beside himself with grief. I saw him. He wasn't acting.
14: Oh, no, 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 no. He was not acting. For he did love his wife. But
5: if he loved her, why did he kill her? Where's the motive? Can't you speak, Eric? Tell him he's mad.
14: Did I not tell you all along that this was a crime passionnel? Why did her first husband, Frederick Bosner, threaten to kill her? Because he loved her. And in the end, you see, he made his boast good. For Dr. Leidner is Frederick Bosner. Oh,
13: what? Uh, is this another of your little tricks, Poirot? Is this true? Leidner, is it true?
14: Frederick Bosner loved his wife with an overpowering passion such as only a woman of her kind can evoke.
5: But she denounced him as a spy. I thought he was supposed to have been shot.
14: He escaped the firing squad only to be involved in a terrible train crash he survived that also but there was a man who did not survive it a young Swedish archaeologist named Eric Leidner whose body was so disfigured as to be unrecognizable
13: you're saying that Bosner assumed Leidner's identity
1: and so it really was Bosner who wrote the letters
14: because she was still the ruling passion of his life and he was cold-bloodedly determined that she should belong to no
13: other man. Are you seriously expecting us to believe that when he came back into her life again, she didn't recognize him? Yes,
14: I am asking you to believe just that. Over 15 years had gone by, remember, Everything about him had
5: changed. It's not so fantastic. I've known women who wouldn't recognize their husbands after just a couple of years apart.
1: But why did the letters start again? And what about the gas poisoning business?
14: I think that Dr. Leidner was taking no chances. He wanted to impress on his wife once and for all that Eric Leidner and Frederick Bosner were different people, but the letters were not enough. He decided to contrive the rather puerile business of the gas poisoning. It was easy enough. All he had to do was to slip out and turn on the taps, once he was sure that his wife was soundly asleep. And then, just in time, he makes sure his wife wakes and smells the gas. It was enough to convince her. After that, he was satisfied. No more letters need come.
5: But they did come. They came to the house.
14: But by then the situation had changed, my friend. The threat underlying the letters was always a genuine threat if she belonged to any other man he would kill her and she had given herself to richard carey oh my god and so when he discovered this cold-bloodedly and very calmly dr leidner prepared the scene for murder from the very first there was something which puzzled me why did he secure the services of a nurse when a companion
5: would have done. Yes, it struck me as curious too, but I went along with it.
14: It was vital that a reliable professional witness should be able to state incontrovertibly that Mrs. Leidner had been dead over an hour when her body was found, that she was killed when everybody could swear that her husband was up on the roof.
1: You mean he'd worked it all out in that much detail beforehand?
14: He brooded on it incessantly. That was the origin of the tension and uneasiness in the house that everybody remarked on. It wasn't Mrs. Leidner who was responsible for it. It was an obsessed fanatic planning to kill.
1: And Miss Johnson realized what was happening when she found one of the threatening letters in Dr. Leidner's office.
14: She suspected, I think, but her mind refused to admit it. It was not until that moment when you found her on the roof that she realised how the murder had been committed, but even then, her loyalty, her love for Dr. Leidner asserted itself. She looks deliberately in the wrong direction, across the courtyard, and tries to put you off the scent by talking vaguely about how someone could have got in from outside without being recognised.
1: And it was only at the very last minute that she tried to tell me how it had really happened. The window... Mrs. Leidner had looked out of the window.
14: And so? Everything is explained. Everything falls into place. But there is no proof. No proof at all.
4: No. There is no proof. But that does not matter. You know that I would not deny truth. I have never denied truth. I think really I'm rather glad that it has all come out. I'm so very tired. I'm sorry about Anne. Anne Johnson, that was... was all bad, senseless. It wasn't me. And she suffered too, poor soul. But it wasn't me, it was... fear. You would have made a good archaeologist, Monsieur Poirot. You have a gift for recreating the past. It was all very much as you said. I loved Louise and I killed her. if you had known Louise you'd have understood. I think you understand anyway.
1: it's strange but in spite of it all I can't help feeling sorry for him. must be awful to love somebody as desperately as all that. I shan't be sorry to get away from here.
7: you
14: have had enough of the mysterious East.
1: I thought it was going to be like something out of the Arabian Nights, but it's not like that at all. I'm going back to England next week. There's an old lady who doesn't want to make the journey on her own and wants somebody to look after her. What about you?
14: Oh, I intend to take my time. After so much excitement, I need a little peace and quiet. I shall break my journey home at Istanbul and spend a few days exploring the city. All my life I have wanted to see Santa Sophia. And then I shall treat myself to a sleeping car on the Orient Express.
9: After all, at my age, I deserve these little luxuries.